Time to get everyone. It is Sunday, June 5th, 1.01 p.m. here in Los Angeles. We have our first in-studio guest here with us today. Becca Leon is here, as well as Abby Martin, your host. How's it going, Abby? It's going good. Time to get dope. You're listening to Anahadron. Welcome to Dosed, everybody. This is Abby Martin. Cults are very hot right now. Not just joining them, but entertainment about them. Pretty much every TV streaming platform has their own mini-series about one. Heaven's Gate, that weight-loss Christian lady with the big hair, (laughs) several about Scientology, three recent series about Nexium. Something that's always fascinated people about what type of person ends up in a cult. The people who escape and the predatory narcissists who start them. Most people who watch these docu-series probably think, I could never get sucked into something like that. What is wrong with these people? But the massive phenomenon of cults, so prevalent they pull in tens of millions of people in the U.S. alone, says something about the human condition. Our innate need to be part of a community, to live a life of purpose, and a desire to become better people. Humans are fascinating creatures. We're not only creatures of habit, but we rely on social interaction to survive and thrive. In a hyper-individualized society characterized by alienation and loneliness, it's easy to understand why people might gravitate towards certain groups and belief systems that speak to their needs. We all do this to some extent, to have some sort of belonging, right? The sense of belonging. And the human mind is a fragile thing, ripe for manipulation. I mean, Jesus Christ, just look around. You can really call mass media, political indoctrination, so many other things part of the cult of society in general. And in a system like capitalism, there's no shortage of bad faith actors willing to exploit as many people as they can for profit and ego. But those type of cults, led by a somewhat charismatic leader slash manipulator, is probably what most people think of when they think of cults. Others are much more subtle. Some even considered mainstream religions that employ the exact same tactics as the ones you see exposed on HBO and Netflix. One of those is the Jehovah's Witnesses that boasts 21 million members worldwide. Known for distributing their door-to-door recruiting, similar to the Mormon Church, and their magazine, The Watchtower, 
they appear to those outside the church as just another major Christian denomination. There are two types of people in cults, those who are recruited into it and those who are born into it. My guest today is my friend, Becca Leon, who was born a Jehovah's Witness, escaped from it, and is now part of a nationwide network of former cult members who support each other and help people still in cults realize what they are and help escape them. Her story is one that you do not want to miss. Becca, welcome to Dost. Thank you. I just want to say to start, I'm not accusing Christians or any religious people of being in a cult because I have the utmost respect for people of faith. And I think religion, like everything else in our world, can be used for good or bad. I think by the end of this episode, listeners will understand that it's not about believing in God or a prophecy that makes one a cult member, but the mechanisms of control, abuse, and entrapment is what we're talking about here. And understanding your story, Becca, people can get a deeper sense of how all cults operate and how people can be helped who may be under the influence of one. So I guess let's just start by addressing why you call Jehovah's Witnesses a cult. What does it mean to be a JW and how is it different from standard Christianity? Well, um, if you look up what a cult is, the Jehovah's Witnesses share all the characteristics except for having one charismatic leader. One charismatic leader, we had the Jehovah's Witnesses had a whole team of have a whole team of men running the organization called the Governing Body. However, in the beginning, it was obviously started by one man. Um, but aside from that, you know, they're an insular society. They otherize everyone who's not a Jehovah's Witness. They have their own special vocabulary, which I didn't realize how creepy it was until I was actually <laughs> writing things down for this. Like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? I mean, just the name alone, Jehovah's Witnesses, is so creepy, you know. But the songs they sing are called the Kingdom Melodies, you know, and... Um, disfellowshipping, you know, they have their own vocabulary that people don't on the outside wouldn't really know what these things mean. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the they have a hierarchy. It's all men that make up that hierarchy. They do practice shunning. They call it disfellowshipping. I think that's one of the biggest reasons that it's a cult and also what separates it from regular Christianity, because I don't think that regular most Christians or Catholics, you know, are not excommunicated for the most part yeah for like explain this part of it because this is probably the biggest problem is the shunning um like you are not it's like suppressive people in scientology yeah. like if you're not a member you're shunned from everyone that you know right yeah if you're not a member it's not as bad as being disfellowshipped you know because that means that you were in and you were baptized and you sort of made this choice and then you you sinned you know, so badly that they had to kick you out. So then you really have to, I mean, you just don't exist anymore, you know? That's basically what it is. Another weird thing they say is that they're in the truth. They call it the truth. So I just, that's so Orwellian to me, you know? It's like, yeah, you're either in the truth or you're not in the truth. Um, also, the rules make it really cult-like, you know? There's no, uh, you can't you can't be gay. You can't accept blood transfusions. Um, you have to die. You can't except any, even if your baby needs a blood transfusion, you have to let your baby die. Um, you can't have sex before marriage. You know, higher learning is frowned upon. So, you know, all of those things, I think, make it a cult and also make it different from just mainstream Catholicism or Christianity. Mm -hmm. And what exactly is it, aside from the mechanisms of control, that make it like a different 
part i mean it's not it's not technically christianity because it's actually like a different belief system spawned off of christianity right where this founder actually believed that he was the true leader of yeah. christianity right because yeah. he didn't believe in the the god the son and the holy spirit or whatever he didn't believe in the trinity he yeah. he thought celebrating birthdays um certain holidays were like pagan um he didn't believe that everyone would go to heaven or hell you know so he's kind of like this christian restorationist he calls him he would call himself um he was just trying to take it back to like pure christianity by reading the bible you know by interpreting the scriptures in more pure way i guess um yeah so that's why your identity is like totally stripped down like you could i mean that that was the one thing that i learned from just knowing the very few Jehovah's Witnesses when I was growing up is like they didn't celebrate birthdays and I thought mm-hmm. that that was really kind of sad because it's like you know it's the one thing that is kind of fun <laughs> that yeah you can celebrate like your identity and who you are and how you were brought into this world and it's like all of that is kind of stripped from you because you're just essentially nobody other than a servant to God right exactly yeah that's kind of the initial way to just break you down you know to build you back up <laughs> must have been really sad to be growing up like and so christmas and all that too like at all holidays yeah you don't you don't um celebrate any holidays um you can celebrate you know anniversaries wedding anniversaries but, but that's even about though it. even though christmas is all about jesus and everything it's still like well because it's i mean it is but it's also not i mean they yeah. didn't, they definitely didn't like the way that it you know became just about gifts but also they don't believe their calendar is also different you know so like easter and christmas you know they don't believe that jesus was born and died on those days they they use like they don't use the roman calendar to calculate that mm-hmm. so when you kind of look at the whatever calendar that they go off of it's like you know nisan the 14th or you know <laughs> so then they actually believe that it was on, on different days so they celebrate jesus's death you know but it's just on a different mm-hmm. on a different day than easter and they don't celebrate his birth because he they don't celebrate birthdays it's really interesting that this religion is like kind of widely unknown for the mechanisms of control and cult-like behavior that's deployed by the membership and the leadership, I guess I'd rather say than the membership. Um, There's, in fact, a Jehovah's Witness church literally one block from me, and it's just kind of like baked in to the neighborhood. You know, no one gives it a second thought. Um, It's very strange, and I never really gave it a second thought either you you know these people who come door to door you're just like oh you you know you look like these prim and proper like amish like mennonite looking people who are just doing doing your service like god god bless you and you know i mean so i guess explain what this watchtower publication is like how like how much money are we talking about poured into the pr because this publication is what is peddled door to door right yeah the watchtower along with its companion the awake it's mm-hmm. so funny that it's called Awake. But um, yeah, so in the beginning, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they were called the Zion's Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. So that's what they did. I mean, the guy who partnered with him was a, who owned and operated printing presses in the 1800s. So they um, they started publishing the Zion's Watchtower. Um, it's, it's the main magazine they peddle and they also study out of it um, every Sundays, every Sunday. And then on Sundays, they have... A question and answer with an audience <laughs> all the answers are in the watchtower and all the you know so you just highlight <laughs> the answers to the question and you comment out of them um but it is what they feel holds you know most of the um 
the gems, I guess, that they that they will study each week. It'll have certain themes, and then you have scriptures to back it up, and you study it, and you discuss it at the church. So what are the – so it's not the Bible. It's the New World Translation of the Holy okay. Scriptures. It's similar to the King James Version of the Bible. It's just, you know, the one that he basically wrote. Uh, Charles Taze Russell wrote, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it definitely goes off of the King the King James version of the Bible, yeah. And so the Watchtower publication is more like like pictures and stuff accompanying the scriptures and stuff, right? It's like more like easily translatable for just the layman. Yeah, it's not in old English or anything yeah. like that, you know. So it's just it's a it's a way to discuss certain themes, you know, and draw them out and stuff like that. The themes that they would want to um have people, you know, studying um during the meetings and it's a it's a million dollar a year operation while i was growing up they had a headquarters in um brooklyn you could see it i'm sure when you lived in new york you'd probably see it they had like a watchtower sign that would light up and um yeah in 2016 they sold it for 340 million dollars um and they had two other properties in new york and new jersey that they also sold you know so these they were putting millions of dollars a year from donations, you know, from all the Jehovah's Witnesses around the world into printing not just magazines, but books and Bibles and all of these things that they, you know, don't even sell. They they used to sell them, but now they just take donations for them. They have huge libraries. They leave them with, you know, people that are interested in when they're talking to um, in field service, you know, so they just, yeah, it's not, it's just millions, millions of dollars a year. Um, but no, this is, this is really fascinating because there are very few organized religions that go door to door. What is it about Jehovah's Witnesses that centralize this um, this notion that you have to serve, part of your service is actually spending an enormous amount of time doing this and recruiting people like this? Uh, well, it's a scripture in the Bible that they use um, that says, you know, the good news must be preached in all the inhabited earth um, for a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So the Jehovah's Witnesses take that very literally, and they feel that they have to spread their gospel to every single person living on this planet. And then Jehovah God will finally start his religious war against, you know, the corrupt government of the world. And that's how the end will finally come. So it sparks the end. Yeah, it sparks Armageddon, you know. Um, the apocalypse, you know, whatever you want to call it. But that's what, yeah, and that's what they want to happen. They want the end to come. So they're just, you know, preaching and preaching and preaching and training people in other languages to go preach, you know, to to sectors, you know, to just little Russian areas or Vietnamese areas in California, but also to go to Vietnam to preach, you know, and stuff like that. So, yeah, and that's why you were, you were telling me earlier, this is why you see this kind of colonizing aspect of it a lot of obviously organized religions missionaries and such that go outside of the western world and actually do prey on very small communities across south america across southeast asia because of that primary scripture which they all depend you know they all base the prophecy on which is that armageddon it's all about armageddon coming Mm -hmm. and in order to prompt g like the return of Jesus or whatever is that well it's not really the return of Jesus as much it is kind of yeah yeah, but not as much in the Jehovah's Witnesses Mm -hmm. but yeah just because they believe that God will then just be like okay everyone's had a chance to hear the word so now Mm -hmm. I can actually start this war that's going to be like the worst war that people have ever you know forget World War One and World War Two yeah I mean it's basically if people know anything about the Bible it's like God was like 
pretty crazy. I mean, God's pretty crazy, <laughs> pretty right? Violent. He just like killed everyone. <laughs> and so that, I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Like yeah. that's the belief is that everyone's pretty much going to be wiped out. And it's yeah. like, well, if you didn't join, then you lost your chance. Yeah. And a little bit more about the Bethel, which is kind of like the Sea Org of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, you know, um, a lot of like young men, single men would go there to just devote their whole lives to it. Um, and the saddest part of that is that when they did sell it, which they sold their properties, I think mostly to pay off like legal and uh, legal court fees and also pay off families who were um, suing them for child sexual abuse because it just became a huge thing recently. It's just like all, you know, coming out of the woodwork. So um, they had to sell these these properties that just were worth so much money that they've had for, you know, 50, 60 years. Um, but anyway, these these young men, they a lot of them from what I learned after were gay and they were trying to just stifle their sexuality. So they would go to Bethel to do the most strict form of worship that they possibly can because it places like run with military precision. So they would go and have a roommate of the same sex, of course, you know, so it'd be like super hard, obviously, (laughs) but um, you know, that's what they would do to just like, live so like you know militant like a self-flagellating existence where you just want to punish yourself and and yeah i mean so that's what the bet so the bethel is was it just one center or was it different centers that were there were three centers when i was growing up i guess Mm -hmm. now they sold the three and they have one in warwick new york or something but that's a new thing so i don't know too much about it but yeah they had one on a farm one in wallkill and then one at the in the city which was the original one that um, the first one that was built in Brooklyn. I'm sure no sex happened with yeah, those Bethels. Yeah, of course, I'm in sure, those rooms. <laughs> I'm sure everything was... Uh, <laughs> no gay sex happened, that's for definitely, sure. <laughs> definitely nothing happened. Um, ta- so, Becca, you were born into this, unlike a lot of people who are recruited and um, into into these types of situations. You were born into it. You didn't really have a choice growing up. I guess just describe what that was like as a child. I mean, how early on are you having to go door to door? Is it something that you're trained to do? Do you have to be chaperoned? Like, how early are you just kind of unleashed to do this on your own? Because your childhood was completely robbed. Yeah. Um, Yeah, as soon as you can start to talk, as soon as you learn, you know, words, you're kind of encouraged to just say a word like, hi, my name is Rebecca. I would like to give you this watchtower, you know. Um, But as soon as you're, I mean, you're in a stroller, you're a newborn baby, and your mom's pushing you, you know, on the streets to to preach. But yeah, Uh, growing up in it, it's, it's really crazy. You don't even know until you get a little older that you're different, you know, obviously, until you start to go to school and you uh you stand out you know you don't celebrate the celebrate birthdays of any of your friends you can't pledge allegiance to the flag i remember schools used to do that i don't know if they still do yeah i was always okay with that (laughs) for some reason but yeah (laughs) yeah i mean it's you just automatically stand out though you know because i was told to sit down and everyone else would stand and then you know people would think that you're weird um you also can't you don't do any projects like centered around the holidays so you would have to just say like, oh, I can't do this project, you know. Um, it took a lot of bravery as like a little kid to go up to your teacher and say, well, I can't do this project because it's like it has a turkey on it and it's Thanksgiving and I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Can you give me something else? Or if something was about evolution, I, I was not allowed to study that in school. 
So I had to get around that. Um, and I'm sure some Jehovah's Witnesses just went along with it. But for some reason, I was really by the book, you know, so I always let the teacher know that I needed an alternative assignment. And then I would have to just write something about, you know, my faith or something or why I don't believe in evolution. Um, but wait, know. weren't you homeschooled at a certain point? Not, yeah, I was like at around eighth grade. Yeah, I, I went to school in junior high for a little bit. Why did it happen later? Like, why did they even put you in school early on? A lot of them go to school. It's not until like junior high and high school. I think that a lot of people become homeschooled. Um, part of me the wanted temptation gets too high. I guess so. Like, yeah, a, and part of me wanted to actually be homeschooled. Yeah. I remember that because I just remember things getting harder and harder, you know, and scarier, you know. So I just was like, oh, I think I'll be. It'll be easier for me to be a Jehovah's Witness if I'm in homeschool. And of course, you know, my mom was fine with that. Um, and a lot of the kids, you know, were in homeschool too. A lot of the other Jehovah's Witness kids in my congregation. So I guess it was a, something that I thought would be okay to do, you know. But even as like a kid in elementary school, I would bring my my books, my uh, literature, and I would sit in, at recess and read it and study it and, you know, hope to earn points, you know, <laughs> by God, from God Aww. during recess. And I would hope to like strike up a conversation with my fellow classmates and Sometimes people would ask me, like, what are you reading? Why aren't you playing? You know, and I would, like, give them a witness is what it's called. And then I would feel so good about myself, you know, as like a eight-year-old that I, I talked about Jehovah at, at recess today. And then you go home and you tell your mom. And that's what makes your mom proud, you know, not like that you got an A on something. Right, that you, that you just told some other little kid about Jehovah. I mean, yeah. I've done door-to-door, -door, like, canvassing, and it was pretty terrifying. Yeah. Like, it's not fun. Um, <laughs> no one wants you to come to your home. I did it in Yuma, Arizona, like canvassing for like John Kerry, fucking most horrible experience of my life. Wow. Um, yeah, it was awful. And I just remember like it was so abusively received. Mm -hmm. People yelling at you, insulting you. Like I just cannot fathom what you encountered as yeah. a young child doing this from birth essentially <laughs> to, uh, you know, early adulthood and having to encounter a lot of hostility. Like I'm sure a lot of people were not like, oh, thank you no you got i mean if anyone answered the door you know you got a door slammed in your face or you were told that you're in a you know like oh you're in a cult kid you know <laughs> um God. yeah some people were nice but a lot of people were were really um were just really mean you know because yeah. it, religion is such a personal thing too and to have someone just come and try to and politics right so it's like yeah. a similar feeling of like get away from my my door um yeah and also just being a kid you really are, like you said, robbed of a childhood, but, you know, you also don't develop, like, the same imagination that, you know, our kids will, because <laughs> mm -hmm. you're not allowed to watch anything fantasy-related or magical, you know, no sorcer sorcery or wizardry or anything like that. Um, you, you can't, you, you know, you just can't go there in your brain. You don't go there in your brain, so you just don't develop that part of your, your imagination. Um, you can't, you can't, listen to certain music you know you can't there's just so much that you know there's so little that you can participate in and do so yeah you're just you're well just so did you were, did you like have a computer and television still but your mom just controlled what you were able to watch yeah a tv yeah um yeah i i remember like wanting to watch the smurfs and i was not allowed to watch the smurfs this is the saddest thing i've ever heard about the <laughs> lack of imagination i mean it makes so much sense because it's like probably associated with like you know, demons, know, sat sat satanic stuff yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, you were telling me earlier about like the only thing women are allowed to do on stage was like, 
basically scripture performances, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there was one like meeting... at school plays and stuff, or like yeah, you there was no, not a school plays. Like every week, there was a meeting about how to practice talking to people door to door, and so you would um, you would get an assignment and that was the only thing that women they would just talk to each other women were not allowed to like teach the congregation of course not. so they would get them up on stage talking to each other and you would be assigned a partner and a scripture and a theme and you develop it into a skit and then you would perform the skit during that meeting um, and that was the only way women could have any like type of part in the actual meeting so it's just uber patriarchal within yeah. the organization women, like, women are just are there just, to serve yeah yeah women are just like baby making like mm-hmm. servants to God. Yeah. So let's talk about why you've called Jehovah's Witnesses dangerous because this is it's not just about the door-to-door stuff. It's not just about oh you can't watch the Smurfs. It's about every aspect of your lives, Becca. It's about how you raise your kids. It's about the clothing you wear. It's about I mean every facet of every second of the day. Yeah. Um there, one of the core tenets of the religion is to put on the new personality, um, which means that you and you're stripping off the old personality. So it essentially means that you clothe yourself in a new persona, um, the persona of being a Jehovah's Witness. And it mostly applies to people who weren't born into the organization, but also, you know, second generation people as well, um, because you have to be a good representative of Jehovah and his true earthly organization at all times. So. You have to uphold a very high level of conduct um, so that, you know, the way you dress and your makeup, um, you should not ever draw attention to yourself or express yourself, you know, with your clothes or makeup or hair. Um, Even, you know, men were chastised, you know, when like skinny jeans were a thing that they, you know, that their pants were too tight and they like would put this inside watchtowers, inside watchtowers that and so it would be studied from the stage, you know that men are now wearing, you know, and it's just unacceptable to God. So, you know, of course they find their way to work all of this into the doctrine. It becomes doctrine. Um, and, you know, um, as far as parents goes and, and parenting, um, you know, now that I'm a mom, it's, it just, I just don't understand, you know, I mean, it just robs you of all of your natural inclination to mother and nurture. Um, you have to just defer to, what the what the Bible says and the way they interpret the Bible. So spare the rod and spoil the child, you know. So corp, you know, you gotta beat your kid <laughs> mm-hmm. um, if were they're you, not. You were sorry. physically. Yeah, I mean, abused? yeah, I think we all, everyone was like spanked at least, you know. Um, I, <laughs> if you didn't, if you didn't sit still, and you know, our kids, right? They don't sit still. <laughs> if you didn't sit still at a two and a half hour meeting on a Thursday night from seven thirty to God knows when you were taken into the bathroom and spanked until you stopped fidgeting or stopped crying or doing whatever, you know? So that's, I mean, if you just think about that, that happening to you maybe every single week for years and years of your life, I mean, that really does a fucked up thing to your brain, you know, and you're just being a normal kid, you know? So there's just, yeah, there's no room for that. You weren't really, you know, no one like brought toys for their kids to play with. It was just like, here, look at this really creepy My Book of Bible <laughs> Stories book. This should you know, satisfy your your need to move around and look at something during this, you know, two and a half hour thing. Um, you were telling me earlier about this is this is really interesting. I know this is kind of um, 
off topic, kind of, because it's going back to like the foundation of Jehovah's Witnesses and how it's changed, like the doctrine changed once the first leader died. Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people will be like, they really associate cults with like this charismatic leader who who brings people into the fold and people are following you know, the tenets of like this one dude, but this changed, right? And it, and it, you were telling me how like first it was pro-Zionist and then it actually became like anti-Semitic. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on the leader, the original leader was, um, was a, a, you know, like a Christian Zionist, I guess you'd call him, you know, and he, um, he definitely believed that the Jews had a, had a right to, you know, return back to, um, and even though in all the everything I've read, it like they always call it Palestine, um, but yeah, the Jews had a right to return to Palestine, and they um, and they were still God's chosen people, you know. And so I guess in a way they believe that they were also a part of that, you know. Well, Ch- Charles Russell believed that Jehovah's Witnesses were kind of like a part of that, you know, mm. that they were a part of like the original uh, Jewish people. Mm. And <laughs> so then the, and then the next leader was basically like just anti-Semitic or yeah, hated Jews. Right. Just, I mean, that's, and that's, you know, kind of fell into just mainstream Christianity, you know, because the, the Jews killed Jesus. So yeah. So then he was a complete anti-Semite. He actually appealed to Hitler, wrote him a letter during world war two about that. They uphold what? the same ideals. <laughs> yeah. What? They uphold the same what? ideals, high standards of morality. Um, to try to keep Hitler from persecuting Jehovah's Witnesses, which he totally did. I mean, he killed many of them, imprisoned all of the German Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, but yeah, it was really, really Jesus. crazy. Yeah, they had a movie they showed you called, anyway, this isn't really about changing doctrine, but yeah, you know, so that amongst many other things changed just to either keep people in, but yeah, those are one of the early things, definitely. And it just was, you know, it just was the... The racism of the new leader, you know, that's it. It shows you how fluid it is and how it's really not based on much and it can be completely. um, So how is it run now? Now it's run by the governing body, which is I don't know how many men are on it now. It's like at least eight or so, maybe uh, men. And they they run it. They um, all live in the same headquarters. Um, Are they elected <laughs> or is well, it like they're appointed like who they're are appointed these by god yeah so it's like you know they're appointed by god they they feel something in them you know the the jehovah's witnesses believe that only 144,000 will go to heaven so it's like that's not very many there's 21 right. million members so well there's i don't know about 21 million but there's i i always feel like however many billion people if there's eight billion people on earth right now they always say there's like eight million jehovah's witnesses Uh so however many billion people there are on earth i think there's that many and it's all fudged numbers anyway right there's no way they probably inflate them just for yeah or they never count the ones who leave or you Uh know um so yeah the the um what were we talking about so yeah like who are these guys and also um yeah why are only 144,000? entered into heaven and what about the other jehovah's witnesses like what are they going to do so the hundred forty four thousand, they will rule with jehovah and jesus in heaven as kings and priests and the way they know it is they just know it (laughs) they just know that they're anointed it's called they just know it and they're the only ones during the memorial um which is like one of the things they celebrate jesus's death on the cross on the torture stake not a cross they call it Mm. um you know they drink the wine and eat and eat the bread so 
it's like a lot of them are like it's sad like a lot of them are kind of like mentally unstable people that how that's how it was when i was growing up you know lonely people who just really believe that they were one of the ones going to heaven you know the rest of us people are just going to stay sur- uh, survive the war or die in in god's war and be resurrected and then all rebuild the earth together it'll go back to the to the paradise the way it was when adam and eve were created it'll be a paradise um all of the humans will rebuild it together and then um just live happily ever after you'll never get sick you'll never die all of your dead loved ones will come back again so that's a huge way like they actually use funerals to like to preach you know because of course like that's one of the things they use, you know. Do you want to see your dead loved ones again? And people who are mourning, of course, they want to. That They get so a lot sad. of people like that, yeah. That's so sad. Talk more about the hours per week that you were spent evangelizing. Like, this was used as, as um, punishment as well. And we're going to get into several instances of how you were punished for just being a normal kid and basically forced to up your recruitment methods Um you know, because a lot of religions are patriarchal. A lot of religions have strict rules, but this is this is different um, in terms of the methods of control. So I control. So I guess just go more into what you were forced to do. Um, so you have these five meetings a week that you have to prepare. You have to study for. So you have to read the literature beforehand. It's all excuse me, it's all very organized. Um, so you have to make sure that you're reading the Bible every night. Um, you have to prepare for these meetings you have to prepare to like participate in them um which means that when there's a question and answer part you raise your hand um every spare moment you get is spent you know preparing for these meetings or going to them and then on the weekends when you don't have school or work you go practice you go preach um you um you all get together in the morning at someone's house usually or at the kingdom hall and then you just kind of do a little <laughs> pre uh pre preaching meeting and you talk about what you know what you're going to sell that day and talk about that day and then you go out there for at least 2 hours um i remember when i was like what they call a pioneer um i did like 80 to 100 hours a month and you log everything and you turn it in at the end of the month so you're you're responsible for it as soon as you're old enough you know you have to start logging that time and you, you write down like how many hours you spent that month, how many magazines you placed, how many books you placed, how many um, Bible studies you had. So and that's that's the goal. You know, um, if those numbers don't look good at the end of the month, you know, consistently, then, you you know, you'll get spoken to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot. I mean, they keep you. Ex- that's a that's a huge part of why it's a cult, because they just keep you extremely busy. Yeah, people work and still have school outside of that, you know. Yeah, I guess as someone who has like branched off into and, you know, been present at cult conferences, spoken to a lot of ex-cult members beyond Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, and we can get into, you know, you've met a lot of ex-Scientologists, a lot of ex-Transcendental Meditation members, a lot of people who are in other organizations with similar kind of structures in a sense, but it it seems so different from each other. So I guess explain... the broader aspects of like what actually makes a cult a cult like what is it you just mentioned like overworking mm-hmm. is one thing because it strips down it's like you don't even have time and that's yeah. what i remember watching the nixium documentary it's like you didn't even have time to figure out what was going on because you're expected to do so much at every moment that you're awake yeah 
It, I mean, yeah, there's sleep deprivation. There's, you know, I mean, that's just that also just puts you in a weakened state anyway. So you are more susceptible to, you know, anything that's being told to you. Um, the the public shaming, you know, is definitely one that I think they all have in common. Um, you know, even if it's not like excommunicating, there's still levels of like public shaming and discipline that's public that you get. Um, within the within the group, um, you know, like I said, started off with a charismatic leader. You know, there's 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 quite a few. They're not charismatic, fear, but there's fear of reprisal, fear of punishment. Yeah, fear that keeps you in for isolation. Sure. Yeah, right. And which you which you went through several times. And I want to get in later about how your how your mother was recruited in the first place. But first, I want to talk about like what happened to you in terms of the abuse specifically, because this was very abusive, both emotionally, you know, and, and there was physical abuse too. You know, obviously being a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses, you, your entire identity um, is stripped. You basically reject all intuition, even though you realize that things are not as they should be. Your naturally curious state as a child was actually Satan leading you astray, right? Bad is good. Mm -hmm. Good is bad. What age did you start to reject like without even really knowing i mean you were young right and you were starting to rebel just naturally because that's what children do and then you were brought back in you were basically punished for asking questions and then of course you know like you actually had to like sever ties at a certain point with your best friend and tell her like we i cannot see you anymore yeah yeah i mean talk talk yeah. about that well um you know, I, I don't remember an exact age, but I remember I, I don't think I ever actually like believed it. It all always just felt like sounded like a fairy tale to me. But um, I still was like very by the book about it, you know, um, like you said, until you, I think, get naturally rebellious when you're a little older. So I, I think the first time I told my mom, I think I was about 12. That I didn't want to go to the meetings anymore. And that did co coincide sort of with when she really started cracking down on me having friends outside of the the church. Um, and I actually really had a hard time making friends within the congregation, within the church, because my dad was never in it. And um, you're looked down upon if you don't have like a full, uh, like a family head, especially in that patriarchal religion. So I was kind of looked at as like someone you wouldn't want to be friends with anyway, because I had an unbelieving father. Um, so yeah, I guess around 12, um, I started to kind of really lead like a double life as much as I could at the time and be more rebellious. Um, I'm sure I was feeling that, you know, before I told my mom that. I'm sure I was feeling it for a long time, but just trying to work up the courage to 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 tell her, you know. Mm -hmm. And you still felt like you had to sever ties because it was just like you just did whatever your mom to please your mom at that point to Yeah, I mean at good 12, graces. Yeah, and I also just didn't have much autonomy, you know, yeah, at right. 12, so I had to do what she said, but you know, I just begged her. I remember just begging her that I could just, you know, keep seeing my best friend. She was my best friend for at least three years at this time, you know? Um, but yeah, and I remember telling her when she came over to my house, my mom picked her up and then she came over to my house and I was like, Brittany, this is going to be like the last time that I get to hang out with you. And she just like cried. She burst into tears and so did I, you know? But yeah, I mean, those are the types of responsibilities that you get as a child, you know, to just have to have <laughs> these types of conversations with another friend, a 12-year-old, you know? Which is interesting because you would think that she would be like, break her down. 
like get Britney in the we church. tried of course we yeah, tried right. that for but all those like, years yeah. yeah and of and like her mom was really cool her mom would let her come to church with me mm-hmm. and that would I think make my mom feel okay about letting the relationship and the friendship continue and grow she had no control over me spending time with kids at school but yeah she was my only it was all means to an end it was all means to an end by by the potential of having the people join and i think once the barrier was like okay this isn't going to happen now you need to just cut these people off yeah 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 so talk about you were around 12 or 13 i mean and naturally you're a young woman you're becoming sexually aware right and curious you're very (laughs) the, the church obviously forbids this but that doesn't stop kids from being kids yeah so i mean i don't know how how far into this you want to go but like just talk about what happened because i think it's really creepy that you had this sexual experience and then what happened after that (laughs) yeah both were creepy but (laughs) (laughs) definitely what happened after um so i think i was yeah i was like 14 or something and i i mean i lost my virginity you know i was at i was homeschooled i was lonely i was bored and the homeschool that i went to wasn't like i had a teacher you know there was no stimulation whatsoever and i went from being like a pretty academic kid being like put in gifted and talented education classes and stuff um none of which was ever like i never got a good job for that or anything like that actually i think my mom would rather i wasn't you know and my sister too super intelligent and bright you know but none of it was ever fostered or or anything um so (laughs) i i met this this guy and um i snuck out and I remember he was a break dancer. <laughs> I went to go see him break dance. And then the next day he came over to my house and my parents were at work. He knew I was homeschooled. Obviously, that's where I met him. And um, yeah, and I had sex with him. And then I later on was pretty consumed with guilt about it, of course, you know, and I know and it wasn't like nobody ever talked to me about sex. I didn't even realize that that's what he was trying to do, really, you know. So I I was a kid and I was like a very naive kid too. Mm. So once that happened, I realized like, oh my God, like this was bad. This was a sin, you know, and I felt really guilty. And I told my one friend, she was actually my sister and my brother-in-law's friend, but she was like a sister to me. And I used to see her almost every single day. She didn't work and she had a little boy that I would help take care of. And so, um, so yeah, I told her, I confided in her. She was like the adult in my life at the time. And she told her husband and then her husband was like, you have, you have to confess to the elders. And I was like, I'm not baptized. I don't have to. Cause I knew you would have to, if you're baptized. And he was like, well, you're an unbaptized publisher. That's another um, term that I'm not baptized, but I'm going door to door and counting my time. So I have this responsibility to the organization to confess my sins. And then I was just like, I just immediately had like horrible anxiety. Um, and I had, we actually moved around this time. And that's the other thing too. I didn't know anyone in this congregation. We moved to a new town. And, um, so I just went up to the only elder, uh, elder are like the appointed men in the congregation. They're special. They, they do all of the, um, all of the work basically. And so I went up to him and I was just like, you know, um, I did, a, I did a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he knew what it meant, you know, and, um, I had to, yeah, I mean, that, that was a huge part of the mental and emotional abuse is that ju- those judicial committees, those are just disgusting. I mean, to be like a 14 year old girl who just lost her virginity in a pretty traumatic way, I think, you know, which I didn't even have, I never have like even thought about that because this following it this was so much it. more traumatic. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
or overrode it or whatever. It's like this is like more traumatic. Yeah, almost. way more. Yeah. So describe that process. You walk into a room. There's like eld- it's like I picture like Star Wars or something. There's like these four yeah. old like cr- wrinkly old dudes in robes <laughs> sitting at like a, a God, judge's table with like ro- got yes. like a gauntlet. Yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. you walk in and they're just like, child, <laughs> you have sinned. Like what? What have you done? But the thing is, they they really really fucked you up because they really they like it wasn't just like i had sex i sinned they're like blah like slap you on the wrist no this was like a a horrific public shaming where they actually forced you to talk so detailed but nonsensically right yeah like just describe how insane that is well yeah and so these are the things that the governing body outlines and tells all the elders of these churches to do they have specific ways that they are supposed to ask these questions, specific questions that are extremely intrusive and probing and degrading, you know, and it's, and I didn't know any, I think it was four men at the time. I didn't know any of them. And then my mom, because I was a minor, so my mom had to come in too. And they all had notepads and pens. Um, and it was, I think it was like four or five hours long. Um, yeah. And I, I know like I didn't even have like water at, you know, I didn't even have water in there. Nobody was like, do you need some water or tissues? And I was like bawling my eyes out. Um, I was so scared, you know, and they just um, they ask you really crazy questions like, you know, um, well, first I had to ask I had to answer like who he was and where he worked and stuff, which I don't understand why they wanted to know all of that. Like they wanted to know where he lived. I didn't so know. Can punish him. I guess. Yeah. I was just wondering if they were going to go and like track him down. I was terrified, you know. <laughs> right. Um, and so then I had to answer like if there was foreplay, which I didn't even know what that was. Did I have an orgasm? Didn't oh even know God. what it was. You know, um, I had to just talk about every single little tiny detail that led up to the sex and the sex. They asked me if it felt good. They asked me if I bled. It was really disgusting. Yeah, really, really gross. And, and my mother notes and they all took notes and later. so did my mom. Yeah. And my mom would just be like, like the whole time. <laughs> God, that must have been so mortifying in front of your mortifying. mom plus these weird men. And Becca, you've told me some really creepy stories about like because it's it's obviously there's a lot of sexual abuse like there is in a lot of cults because of the lack of accountability and the impunity for a lot of people who are members, either bad faith actors who enter the church knowing that they can get away with this stuff or just, I guess, the power that it grants you and I don't know where that leads, why it leads to sexual predation, but this happens and it's pervasive. And you told me a really creepy story about one elder guy who constantly wanted to, to take little girls Mm -hmm. out by himself. And he was very mad that you were not one of these little girls that would continue to go out with him. Yes, um, he wasn't an elder. Okay. I, I guess he was. He probably had so many issues that I didn't know about that the elders did know about. So that's why he wasn't allowed to like have a position of power in the congregation. But he was a single guy, um, and he rode a motorcycle. So if my sister's listening, I'm pretty sure she knows what what the guy's name is. Should I say his name? Fuck it. Okay, his name was Juan Bonda. That's what his name was. And if anyone (laughs) out there is a Jehovah's Witness and knows, um, come forward, man. Because honestly, I know he did. I mean, my dad would not let me hang out with Jehovah's Witnesses for the most part. So that saved me from these because my mom would have definitely let me go. He would take all the young girls, just girls in the congregation to like Universal Studios or have them over to his house for like jewelry to make jewelry. 
I remember every time I wasn't allowed to go and they would bring me back like a souvenir or like, here, we made this jewelry for you or we got this souvenir for you. And they would all just go, you know, and none of, and these girls were girls I spoke to. No one ever told me, you know, if anything happened, you know, but very, very weird, very weird. And it's like, I don't, and he, he was never married, you know, so every single man in that organization gets married. They all get married because you can't have sex before marriage. So it just struck me as really weird that he that he was always single, um, you know, and it's it's kind of like the Catholic priest thing. It's like if you are denied the natural, you just I mean, we're all supposed to have sex, you know, like if you deny yourself that if you are denied that it can come out, you know, in ways that it shouldn't come out, you know. And so people. Yeah. I mean, it's that denial of something so natural, you know, that just gets perverted, I guess, you know. I mean, the thing is, I don't think that you would have known if the, the abuse was happening to these young girls because it's like, oh, I'm you know, sure a lot you of told it's them. internalized, a lot of it's you don't even know. You I mean, know. we've all seen Leaving yeah. Neverland. So I, it's like sometimes you have no idea until later yeah. that this is something that happened to you. Um, and, and the guy didn't give up, Becca. He, he even went to your dad and tried to convince your father why he should relinquish you to him to take care of, right? To like take yeah. you out on these trips and stuff because he really wanted to take care of you. Shout out to my dad. It's the one good thing. <laughs> he was like, he was just like not, he thought, he thought it was obviously even more weird that he came over to introduce himself. He's like, yeah, I'm, you know, and I, and I just, you, know, you have a great daughter here and, you know, we, we get together a lot with all the, the young people in the congregation and, you know, just want you to know, so you're not scared of me kind of a thing, you know, my dad was like, yeah, cool. Yeah. Becca, quick question yeah. back to your uh, tribunal. Um, What mm. was the, the punish did they like dole out punishment after like what yeah. was the re what was the aftermath of you having to do that like weird humiliating mm. abusive trial okay so yeah sorry i kind of skipped that this is like just like when we try to talk with our kids around and we never get to finish a <laughs> sentence i think i'm used to talking like that sorry so um i was new to that congregation no one knew me so i guess because they knew that i got pub uh, private reproof which means that I wasn't allowed to like comment at the meetings, like raise my hand. Um, I wasn't allowed to have any special privileges, but I could still go out in field service and preach, of course. And I was still supposed to come to the meetings. So it was all private. Um, and I, yeah, so it wasn't that it wasn't um, as much of a public shaming. I, I did get a public shaming later on when I was like 16, which is a public reproof when, where they announce from the stage, Rebecca Leon, they announced it to everybody, like, Rebecca Leon has been publicly reproved. And what is, does that, is that just understood that you were like... That I, that, yeah. I mean, everyone just assumes that you had sex, you know, or yeah. that you just did something immoral with someone. Um, yeah, and there's like a gasp, you know, after your name is announced. It's like... <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> oh, well, well, and then you, and then the crazy thing too is that like, I, I remember, so I was 16 for that one, and, and... I remember the woman who studied with me, she studied the Bible with me. She was an elder's wife, um, ugh, just like the grossest person ever looking back. She called me before that meeting. She knew what I did because I did something with a Jehovah's Witness. We actually yeah. got baptized on the same day together and we were all friends, you know, kind of. And and him and I, you know, we just, I don't know, it wasn't sex, you know, so I didn't think that there was a big deal, but he was having like a full on breakdown about it. So he confessed and then you could see also the difference that the way he was treated with the elders versus the way I was treated with the elders. Right. You know, he was like it was he had no problem given all the details. 
um, because these were like men that he knew, you know, um, and he, he was, it, it, I know that they asked the questions completely different and I just couldn't give all the details. I just wouldn't, I couldn't say all of those things. Again, my mom is right there. Well, you were the temptress. You yeah. Know, you were the temptress. You were yeah. the slut. You oh, were... he, and he gave like all of these details that didn't even need to be divulged. Yeah. And so I had to have like four or five meetings with the elders. I kept being brought back into the rooms because, because, and at one point they did it in this back room with a window and they kept the blinds open and it was right after the meeting when everyone was still there. So they, usually they took you into a room in like the very back where you, no one knows, but like one of the last ones where they just were like sick of me not telling them what was going on. It was like everyone could see. It was just a soundproof room with the door closed, but the wind, the blinds were open. Yeah, so it was like as long as you're in here, they're going to know. So the longer you're in here, the longer Yeah, I like think lying. it was like a final – yeah. They were like, listen, your story isn't meshing. It's not. Right. And it was like one stupid detail that did not matter at all, you know. And we both still got publicly reproved in the end, you know. But I had to say it. I had to say it. So I eventually said it. And then they were like, okay, cool. That's what we were looking for. But, you know, it's like it's obviously so different for like a young girl to like say, talk about their body and stuff, you know, and it was it was a lot easier for him. So, yeah, it was it was that was like really traumatic, too. And that was that was a public shaming where afterward. Oh, and the woman handmaid's tale. Yeah. The woman who studied with me, she called me right before the meeting and she was like, you're coming, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm coming. She's like, good, because you need to sit there and take your punishment. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, and then after that, Becca, it wasn't that you were just folded back in and people were like, okay, we put you through enough. No, you were still like the pariah. Yeah. You were the slut. You were castigated. And basically, you did everything that you could to gain back the approval of the church, but it was like too late. So you even upped your volunteer hours. You were doing like 90 hours a month Mm -hmm. and trying to do whatever you could to make them happy. But it was like... They they were like spreading rumors that you were like flirting with their husbands and yeah, like all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I mean that all that were were the those were the comments that were made to me. You know, like after um, this sort of thing came out when I was publicly reproved. You know, like the woman who studied the Bible with me, excuse me, and a couple of other um, elders' wives are like, well, yeah, you are kind of flirtatious. Like we see the way you speak to our husbands. You know. And that was also, I I will never forget it because it hurt me so badly because I looked up to those men as like a father figure and I thought that they saw me as like a daughter figure because I didn't, ha- my dad wasn't, especially at that time, like my parents were split up. So my, you know, I felt so like gross about that. I'm like, I'm not flirting with these guys. Like they, I look at, I look towards them like fathers and you like mothers, you know? And so, yeah, they're just that like slut shaming exactly just you know putting that stuff on me um because they realized that i was a 16 year old who you know was interested in boys all of a sudden they told me um maybe like make yourself less attractive don't wear makeup that's what one of the elders told me don't wear makeup anymore yeah stop stop okay making men want to look at you becca because it's your fault it's just so horrifying to think of and especially the fact that you were such an intellectually curious kid fighting all of these natural curiosities and then fighting like just your intellectual growth too. Like you had to stimmy all this critical thinking Mm -hmm. and education of course is seen as a sin, especially higher education. So you really had no choice but to do something to follow independent, to be somewhat independent. You actually decided to go into beauty school 
um, because it was something that you could accumulate as a skill, but you couldn't pursue higher education really. So, so, and it also kind of fit into the projected mold of like what womanhood was constructed by the church. Yeah, it was a skill. um, There were a set of skills that you could, it's like, if, you know, things get really bad, you can always just use this in real life, you know, or um, you can barter it with it, or you can use it at Bethel too, because Bethel needed hairdressers. Um, and it's like, I didn't really want to do it. You know, I really didn't. But I just was like, okay, this is easy. And it's also growing up in that, <laughs> with that, with growing up with like in the doomsday cult, you know, which is what it is. This life just doesn't really matter to you. So you just think of things that you can do to get through this life, you know, that will like be okay. You'll make some money, you know, you'll never have to put preaching aside or the meetings aside for a job like this, um, you know. It won't interfere with your life as a servant of God. And yeah, you may be able to do do it at Bethel, you know. So you just resign yourself to just choosing something that will just be okay. It will just work, you know, because the end is coming soon anyway. You know, this life doesn't matter. We're working for the, the, the next life. The end is always coming soon. The end, right. I mean, the apocalypse is always around the corner and everything that happens and right. reinforces this notion. But what, I mean, I feel like every religion, if you're really looking at like literal pro- prophetic interpretations of like, you know, Christianity or Catholicism or whatever, like all of it is centered around Armageddon and stuff like that. But like what makes this particularly egregious as as a doomsday cult, would you say? Um, well, they, yeah, they had a couple of times when they used to give like a specific year and it didn't happen, of course. And a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses sold their homes and quit their jobs and like cashed out their 401ks and stuff. Yeah. Like it happened a couple times, I think 1925 and then another time sometime in like the seventies, maybe. Um, yeah. And, and then all those people just lost everything. They lost everything. And, um, I think a lot of those, you know, people kind of left, you know, but of course a lot of them stayed in and then they vowed to never actually give a date. And then they even said, when I was growing up, I remember asking about that. I'm like, well, why did you guys, you know, give a date? Um, they're like, well, we never did. It's just that people took it that people way. People interpreted it, of right. course. But no, they definitely did, you know, because this was like, a, you know, a worldwide thing that people sold their stuff, you know, and they quit their jobs. And it's reinforced constantly. Like now you've told me that your mother, for example, who has basically dissociated herself from you, which, which I want you to discuss, which is very hard, Becca. Um, but from what your communication with her, of course, realizing what the mindset is that every single thing that happens, the Mm -hmm. cataclysmic climate change on the corner, um, something like the war on terrorism, right? Mm-hmm. Something like Bush administration saying peace and security, peace and yeah. security, all of these things they generate to just reinforce the apocalypse, right? And that right. it's just right around the corner. And it's almost brings them joy yeah. in a sense, like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is happening. And so there's this weird disconnect. It's like, they understand the politics, and they actually like, are conscious of like, how serious it is, but it actually is good in mm-hmm. a sense because it makes them truer believers yeah it's uh yeah exactly it's um it gives them an excitement you know <laughs> it's really really sick but there's a yeah there's a scripture in the bible that talks about the signs of the the end times 
Um, it's like people's attitudes and it, it's everything, you know, and also just like wars and food shortages and earthquakes in one place after another. It doesn't say climate change, but um, all, you know, all of those things. Right. So they which I think if it was really a prophecy, they could have predicted climate change. Right. And like they should have said it. <laughs> I always think about that. I'm like, of course, there's earthquakes. There's always earthquakes, you know, but be more yeah, specific. That be more specific. <laughs> I could have said that. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, so my mom, my mom, till this day, um, the only real <laughs> um, communication that my sister and I get from her are these emails about how the end is really coming. And so it's really crazy because the organization, you're not allowed to vote. You're not allowed to have like a political preference or, or be political at all, you know, because men, there's no way men can do anything. We are so powerless to do anything. It's all about what God can do. So the, but they talk a lot about politics i mean the un is like a huge um yeah a huge source of like contention with like the original guys the original founders um the un was like the mark of the beast i think is what they called it the scar the harlot i don't know i, I uh, i'll never forget a, an issue of the watchtower that i found and i actually oh. kept it for a couple of years because it had such a cool cover it was a picture of the oh, yeah. un building you know like the un building yeah. is like a skyscraper and it was a giant jesus like a godzilla size kaju jesus like <laughs> tapping on the window like of the un building We're and here. i was like this I'm is just here. kind of a fat image <laughs> yeah yeah there was a lot of prophecies in like daniel that were about like beasts and and um and you know like it, it was imagery right it's like this really vivid imagery of daniel's dreams and then the jehovah's witnesses would ascribe different political organizations to it so one was like the king of the north and the king of the south and that was like a huge thing that they always try to um, identify so like the the anglo-saxon world power like the american empire the british empire so they've actually they have a whole book on daniel's prophecies where they interpret all of them with modern day governmental structures and organizations and the so the un is one of them and and china is one russia is one and the u.s is one um so when they saw you know obviously when um the the Russian invasion of Ukraine happened, my mom immediately sent an email to my sister and I just like, you know, because I don't know what the, the new light is, but Russia is either the king of the north or the king of the south or one of them. Whatever so, fits. Whatever fits at the time, you know. So this was like, um, this was like, and my, I remember my mother writing letters to Putin back in like the, I think Where the was 90s. Where was she studying them? Just like, ran, like abstractly, like, I like well, the, jo the, the, the Jehovah's the Witnesses, I know, right? <laughs> Dear Vlad. <laughs> I'm very upset. <laughs> um, you know, the the Jehovah's Witnesses encourage you to write letters to who the 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 countries that are banning the work. So Putin banned Jehovah's Witnesses, and at oh, some wow, yeah, it was. I think I I don't know how long Putin's been in power, but I want to say I was really young. So it yeah, was either it was a long, it's early a long time. Yeah, he's been yeah. fucking forever. Yeah, it was during the um, maybe like the annexation of Crimea times mm. or something, but like the work was. The Jehovah's Witnesses were banned. They weren't allowed to like meet in public and stuff like that. They had to do everything underground. So, um, yeah, so they um, they were encouraged to write letters and they were given like a certain address to send it to. Which is it's just so interesting the political, the apolitical nature, like compared to evangelical, like 
how do you say it? Christian evangelicalism? <laughs> I always want to say evangelism. Um, Maybe. Yeah, no, it, it is really interesting because there's such a huge contingent that is such a powerful force. that They really do shape a lot of the reality in this country. Right. And right. so it's interesting that Jehovah's Witnesses have decided to completely dissociate from from politics, even though they are persecuted in countries that they it would help them to have some sort of political agency maybe yeah i think that that was what obviously rutherford was trying to do um you know with the nazis but it didn't work out that way so then they use that as uh, a really uh, an example um and i remember listening to this other guy give an interview and he was talking and it just made me really think and it's something i never really thought about but we were tra- we were told from the time we were little that we will be persecuted we had to like always be ready to go to prison for our beliefs um because you're not allowed to, like if there was a draft they would always talk about like during 9/11 when 9/11 happened when other things would happen across the world they're like well brothers and sisters we have to prepare ourselves for a draft and just know that our young men and women you know are not to serve in the military. One, and one so, other good thing about right. <laughs> yeah, one one good thing I will say uh, that you can use them for if you are in the military right now and you want to get out. Just True. say you converted to Jehovah's Witness and you can get out pretty quickly on a CO. Is that something that you know for sure? That okay, yeah, that's wow. great. Yeah, that's great. Wow. Yeah, because they really are. So, but you you do you do have this sense of that you're going to be persecuted, you know. And that you're gun, you you could go to jail, and then you showed that purple triangle movie, you know about Just the martyrdom how, complex right. constantly, right? Yeah, that so you're, it adds you're to in the, the light, thing. you're in the truth. Everyone else is just a sucker for Satan. Um, yeah. Let's yeah, so let's let's talk about what happened next, Becca, because it's really traumatic. I mean, if it wasn't traumatic enough, what you already outlined, it gets worse. You were in cosmetology school. You actually left. Not I don't know if you officially left the church, but you actually did start to do things outside the church. And then you became completely isolated. Your family basically expelled you and didn't even look you in the eye. You had no one. Mm -hmm. You were alone. You were completely suicidal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was, that was, yeah, that was horrible. I think I just faded out. You know, I just kind of stopped going to the meetings and um, it was pretty clear to my family that I wasn't um, you know, that I was, well, I guess what they probably saw is that I was just partying, you know, like I just wanted to be rebellious and party, not, they didn't understand that I just, you know, didn't believe it and didn't, it just, my body was just like repudiating it. I just couldn't sit through those meetings anymore when it was just so clear that I, none of this was like, you know, reaching my heart or anything. So, um, yeah, once I was in cosmetology school, because after being in homeschool for so many years, now I was eight, 17, 18, and I started to make friends again, and this time as an adult. But then it's been so many years since I've had like an actual friendship. So I was like, oh, wow, like these people are cool, you know, and like mm. cosmetology hairdressers were like, they like to party and go to <laughs> raves and, you know, they all had like fun hair and stuff. And I was just like, you know, Sarah plain and tall, you know, Sarah plain and short. (laughs) I had like watchtowers in my trunk, you know, I was still coming, I was still like a pioneer at the time when I entered. And then I just completely fell away. I just started like hanging out with girls at, um, at Cosmo school. And, you know, of course I was like, you know, having fun and stuff too, and exploring, you know, um, drugs and raves and parties and stuff. And it was great, but it also just made me even more realize that like, this is all so, insignificant when it comes to life like there's so much more to life you know and i was having a lot of fun i was 
really figuring out who I was and, um, and then eventually, you know, I guess once you lose, like, I mean, okay, it's all fun and games until you're just like, okay, wait, like, I still want to have a relationship with my mom and my sister. I love them, you know? Um, and you know, just like, I guess it gets lonely and then things set in. Um, and then I probably took the partying a little too far. (laughs) And then when there's nothing else to offset it, you know, except for your friends who like to party. Yeah. You feel like you hit rock bottom. So I just, I like went crawling back, you know, I knew that as soon as I walked back into a kingdom hall, as soon as I told my mom that I would just study again or that I'd start coming back to the meetings, I knew that all would be forgiven, you know, because you, because they, it was clear that you didn't have like once you left and became involved in partying and stuff like that or experimenting, you knew that you would not have relationships with your mother yeah. or sister. Yeah. That was the I was sacrifice. Making a conscious decision. That was obviously. the sacrifice. But mm-hmm. then you, of course, you need family connection. Yeah, that's like the most innate thing. Is is that back end? That's all you ever knew, and so you go back in the church, understandably so, because you felt so isolated. And then you essentially got into an arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I, I call it like robot mode. I just realized I'm like, okay, I can't have the life I want. So I'm just going to do this again. And part of me felt like part of me felt whole again because I got like my family and community back, you know, but then pretty quickly after that, you know, I just decided, well, I mean, I got married. I married an elder son who... He was like, I guess, the the most bad one that I could choose, you know. Um, and he was ten years older than me, and he had a ten year old daughter. So at like, I think we got married like a couple days after I turned twenty one, and he, uh, I just like immediately became a stepmom. And you said that you, as you were walking down the aisle, like, oh you god, were, like yeah. crying. Yeah. So I, I <laughs> it was like the weirdest wedding. It was like in tr- in the church, and I was like walking down, and I I just remember seeing my sister at the end and also the man who ended up walking me down the aisle was the guy in my judicial committees <laughs> oh my he, god he, oh, <laughs> he actually came up to me and i didn't want anyone to walk me down because i knew my dad was not going to come to my wedding you know and my mom i asked my mom and she said no so my mom also is like just mean and british on top of being a jehovah's witness but <laughs> you know she said no for some reason yeah and i was like okay well that's cool. I'll just walk myself down. And then he saw me at some kind of a convention before. And he was like, hey, Rebecca, who's walking you down? And I was like, no one. He's like, well, can I? And I didn't want to say yes, because I'm like, you like, I mean, as nice as he was, you know, it's, and that's the thing. It's like this weird, weird, like trauma bond dynamic. So of weird. And he, um, he ended up walking me down the aisle and I was just bawling my eyes out. I couldn't stop. I was like uncontrollably sobbing and crying. It was not tears of joy. And I just remember like looking up at my sister and her face being like, get it together. Like, you know, and I just was like, oh, and I did, you know, I mean, like somehow got it together. But yeah, I mean, my makeup must have been like ho- horrible. I had to. It should have been the, ha- you know, I know this is a cliche, but it should have been like one of well, the yeah. most, you know, important, meaningful, day. meaningful days of your life. And instead you were like, you knew that you were entering hell, <laughs> I knew like it. a new stage of hell. I knew it. Yeah. And I, and I also had to like cover my tattoos. Um, cause I got tattoos while I was out of it. And, um, yeah. And so I had to like wear this ugly shawl around my tattoos and it was like, just made me look so ugly and weird, you know? And I just was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is what I'm doing. And then, you know, it all started sinking in. And then soon after that, 
I just got extremely depressed. It was okay for a little while, but also the marriage was obviously not good because I didn't, I hardly knew him and he had like a lot of drama with his ex-wife and stuff, his, the mother of his child. And, um, yeah, it was horrible. So I got on, um, Benzos. Benzos. Yeah. His mother, really sad. His his mom, she had a lot of issues and she told me, she's like, you know, just go on. She told me certain, I think it was like a fixer or something. She's like, I felt so good when I was on a fixer. Just go on a fixer. That's yeah. how we all deal with these arranged right. marriages. We right. just get on these pills. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh and I remember God. even asking her, I was like, Cheryl, don't you think this is all weird? And she was like, of course it's weird, but I love Jesus, you know? And I was just like, okay. And she's like, just get on some effector. You'll feel better, you know? And I, I went to a, a psychiatrist and then she just put me on like this crazy cocktail of stuff. And then, oh my God. Yeah. And then I just, and you know, Jehovah's Witnesses definitely drink. They like to drink. So it was like, not supposed to drink during, you know, while taking that stuff. And I was drinking. My ex was popping my uh, clonopins too. <laughs> I just couldn't even get through a meeting sober, you know. I mean, you, you've told me about the cocktail effects of some of these pharmaceutical pills. It's like trails, like literally oh, yeah. time would lapse. Like, yeah. I mean, it was really bad. Yeah, brain. Dosed. Yeah, th- there was just withdrawing from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called, um, I can't think of the name right now, but... Yeah, it was uh, really like those time elapsed um, things you have to take every single day. The way that when you come off of them, you just feel like you're dying. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could think of the the actual term because it's like the craziest term. But it, it'll come to you. Yeah. And then you, I mean, you were so drugged. You had drugged yourself to the extent that you were just basically so sedated to be able to go day to day. And then at yeah. some point you broke. You broke and you basically just realized that you would rather be dead. Mm-hmm. than be in the situation that you were in, right? Yeah, essentially. You know, I mean, I felt dead. I felt like yeah. I was just so numbed out and so unhappy and my marriage was bad. So I just, um, you know, I think at this time I was like working at a salon uh, where I had like a really good group around me. Like one actually woman who was a hairdresser there, she used to be a Jehovah's Witness too. And she really helped me. She, cause she's out and she was happy and like, you know, still dealt with everything. She was really real about it. But she, I was like, okay, there is life after this, you know? And so I, I kind of had the courage to just go home one night and just tell my, my husband, I'm like, I don't want to be in this religion anymore. And, you know, I think he knew that we didn't, he would, that I didn't want to be married to him anymore. You know, I think I'm sure he, I'm sure he realized that pretty early on, but then he forced you to basically take the blame in order for him to stay in the church. Right. Yeah. I didn't do it. Um, he, he was like, you have to, um, I remember him trying to like give me money and everything. If I would just like confess to the elders that I cheated on him because that's the only way that he can stay free in the religion. The only way there's no divorce. So even if a woman is being beaten, even if a woman is being raped by her husband, anything like that, she cannot. And I say women because it's like most of the women were miserable. You could see it, you know, some of the husbands were fine, but a lot of those women were in abusive, really bad relationships and they couldn't get married unless there was proof of cheating or the husband or wife actually confessed to it in front of the elders. Sorry, you couldn't get divorced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. no divorcing, um, for adultery, the man or the woman. Okay. So your husband would have to actually. And it's not just that he would have to cheat, but he'd have to confess it, or you have to have proof. 
you couldn't just suspect it, Mm -hmm. you know? So, Mm -hmm. and that's hard to get, right? So even if your husband is cheating on you and you know it, but you don't have like proof, like text messages or phone calls or pictures of him going into, you know, somewhere with a woman, you still can't get a divorce. So, um, that's what he wanted. Yeah. Straight up, dude. And, you know, yeah, God hates a divorcing, you know, so. There's yeah, there's no, nothing more than, than God. <laughs> nothing worse. Doesn't care about rape. No. <laughs> or pedophilia or anything. Just hates divorce. And you have to, like. Really? That's why, isn't that why the King James Version was, like, didn't they, like, actually allow divorce? That's why, like, the Bible was rewritten in the first place from that one king or oh, whatever. I don't know. Um, Interesting. No, so then, so then you broke out. And that's amazing that you had someone to help you. I didn't realize that you had an XJW at your salon that really must have helped you yeah. to see that there is life after this and that you could escape Becca. And then you just started a journey of self-discovery essentially. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, um, I eventually moved out of my hometown and I moved to LA and that was great. So I lived by myself and I was just kind of starting over from scratch. And that's when I just really had the time. I remember I like just didn't, after work, I just like would come home and just think and like write and watch um, YouTube like blogs where people were talking about their leaving and just like how crazy the cult actually was. Because when I first left it, I was still too scared to like actually go and look up stuff because you, I still felt like my thoughts and my life was being policed by God, you know, that he could see everything I was doing. So I was too afraid to do research on the religion. And they tell you never Google it. Yeah, don't Google yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses. Just use their website and their – and then, you know, you have this whole library of books on every subject that they've written. So you have to, you know, defer to that only. So, um, yeah, so I started just kind of figuring it all out, you know, from then on. And then how did you kind of, I guess, unpack the the mind control and stuff because that because mm. w- once you realized that it was like a cult and that you were trapped mentally like the fact that you really did still think that yeah. god was policing you and stuff like that like how did you start to unpack that and what what resources helped you do that the first book i read was called crisis of conscience and it was written by raymond franz i think franz and he was an ex-bethelite so he exposed i felt safe reading that as my first book because he was in it and he was a bethelite so he had this like and he was supposed he thought he was i think he thought he was anointed um at the time and he wrote this incredibly gigantic amazing book about all of the doctrine that was false and about how crazy Bethel is and about how, and that's how I learned about like, you know, that like all of these young gay men and probably women too would, you know, go there to just try to, you know, mm-hmm. pray the gay away kind of thing, but then end up like experiment, you know, just real, really realizing that that's when that, that they were gay. Right. He, I think is gay. So, oh, I don't know. I shouldn't say it, mm. but I, I'm pretty sure that that's why he ended up having like those experiences and stuff. And he wrote about that a lot in the book, but he, um, his book was just really like moving for me, you know? Cause I was like, wow, all of this stuff that I've been taught is just not true. And he has all these facts and he's smart and, you know, to back it up. And then the second book I read was by Steve Hassan, who's an ex Mooney, um, and he wrote um, Combating Cult Mind Control. So he talks about, like, the systematic way that they, you know, uh, through propaganda and through all of these tactics, like the sleep deprivation, keeping you busy and all that stuff that they, 
you know, that they control your thoughts and your mind and your actions too, by, you know, making you self-police yourself and, um, and all of that. So those two things were just really instrumental in me, like freeing my mind, you know, from, from it. And through this process of, um, self-discovery, you actually discovered breaking the set. Yeah. <laughs> right? My old yes. show, that was a pretty awesome moment when we connected and I was like, Dosed. damn. But, yeah. Like to actually be a part of that, like, is so amazing, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, I started to, like, I started to connect a lot of things to, I mean, like I said, you know, the religion is really political. And that part of the, the doctrine would always, like, really intrigue me. So once I started on this, like, YouTube, these YouTube rabbit holes, I was like, well, what else is not true? You know, like, and I realized that almost everything is not true that you've been taught and stuff. So I started, like, researching um my dad's from sri lanka and i started researching sri lanka and you know the religion that i was before colonization converted them to catholicism but the not the religion i was the religion my ancestors were um and so just trying to put all these pieces together of like who am i you know and i started just really getting interested in like coups and um, civil wars and just why, you know, call the the reason why these things happen. It's like a crash course in every in the world. <laughs> in everything. Well, because your dad's from the Tamil region, yeah, which was had a brutal war waged against it, and were basically like wiped out. And so, like that was a history, a family lineage that you were not really allowed to explore or identify with. And so it's like this whole different kind of process of self-discovery. I think people, if they aren't familiar with it, I think like MIA is the most mm -hmm. prominent Tamil person. And when like yeah. the war was going on, she was very outspoken and would get dragged out in front of the mass media about it and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She's dope. Love MIA. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just seeing the, like reading about the oppression because my, my, my dad wouldn't, didn't really talk about it much, you know, and he left when he was pretty young, but um, I was kept away from all of my, I have like this amazing, beautiful family in California that it would all get together, you know, all throughout the year, every year. And I just was not allowed to be around them. So, um, I am now and I love it, but you know, they, yeah, they definitely, I definitely missed out on that like cultural side, you know? So because Sri Lanka is so rife with political strife and poverty, I was like, Oh, like it was very interesting to me. So then I realized like all of these other places, you know, have similar, you know, it's just like pulling the thread, right? And things were unraveling. And then um, I, I was, I, I know at the time I was listening to like low key and immortal technique. And, um, <laughs> and then I just stumbled upon, you know, and I would just like YouTube immortal yeah, technique. Yeah, and yeah. then you interviewed him on breaking the set. I was like, who is this chick? <laughs> and I never like, it's so awesome. Like makes me want to cry. I never thought I could like be friends with you, you know? So it was like so awesome when I heard you're moving to LA. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool. I want to cry too because it's just, it's, it's hurts to hear that you went through all this. Yeah, it's crazy. But, um, thank you for caring. <laughs> it just, it's, it's just horrifying, you know, and it just, it's just sad that it took you. I mean, it, the thing is, I'm grateful. Like, I hate, I hate it, you know, but I'm so grateful that you did it. Because you're such a beautiful person. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. You're so powerful, you know? And Thanks. it's so hard to overcome something like this. But you did it. You did it. And you didn't only overcome it. You didn't only become such an amazing person. But you're, you're educating people now, which is so incredible, Becca. Like, that takes guts. You know, that takes guts to not only leave something like this, but then to go out and help other people do it. You know, empower people to actually do that is is something on a totally other level, you know? 
Like, what made you want to take that step?、Mm, the first, the first、uh, reason is like pretty selfish because I just wanted to. It was cathartic, you know, to like tell my story. I realized so.、Um, I I was I started going to therapy with.、Um, I actually reached out to Steve Hassan, the guy who wrote that book. Because、um, I just wanted to get involved, you know, and I I think on LinkedIn or something, I reached out to him and I was like, if there's ever anything like on the West Coast that you're doing, like, and you want help, like, I'd love to get involved in this, you know. And so I don't know. I guess there was just something in me, I guess, from the beginning that I just wanted to be involved.、Um, but then、um, he introduced me to a therapist in LA who she. Ran part of the International Cultic Studies Association conferences and everything in LA, and so I started、um, seeing her as a therapist. And then she started giving me these opportunities to speak. And the first time I spoke,、um, it was I had no idea like it was going to be so well received. Like everybody was crying in the audience,、mm-hmm. and I started crying. I lost it, and <laughs> I just was like, "Wow, that was." I mean, it felt like I I felt like I. Like gained years to my life after telling the story,、right. I felt so light,、right. you know. And so I just、um, I started to look for more opportunities to write. I wrote an article、um, for the Freedom. I think it's、oh、God. I can't remember any words today, but like Freedom of Mind Foundation.、Um, and I I wrote a couple of things there, and that was awesome. Also, really well received. I just started seeing how it was affecting people. In a positive way. Obviously, I'm not going to go and be like a picketer outside of the Jehovah's Witnesses、mm-hmm. conventions. I don't. I mean, people who do that, more power to you. But I don't feel like it's a. They're ready to to hear that stuff. You know,、yeah. they just they just don't. They purposely won't look at the people picketing outside of you know those right, conventions. Right. So I'd rather talk to people who are coming out because they're the ones who need the support. You know. So I just really.、Um, I really saw that it's helpful, you know, the the comments that would be written on those articles about how you just took the the feelings. I didn't even know how to put this into words, and you wrote it down, you know, like this is what happened to me, you know, this is like we were all like systematically robbed of like our instincts and our natural inclinations for everything. Wow, so it really helps. It helps people, and then it makes me feel like all of this was not just in vain. And、know? it helped you reading ex members' testimony. Right, and that's what、yeah. prompted your discovery. And yeah, I, I remember. I just want to go back to one note that I remembered you telling me that when you know you were young, and a lot of it is political, which is fascinating because it's like the depolitization, the the disassociation with politics, but also the the fundamental like acknowledgement of like how political things are, but it all fits into the religion. But then you had like kind of an instinctual. Awareness where you were like, I would be one of those hippies、yeah. holding signs at like an anti-war protest, and like、yeah. you were reprimanded. They were like, No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was so crazy. It was like the one of the guys, one of the you know the one who had the wife that told me I was flirting with him. He was like, So what would you? We were all in the car during field service, and we would have these car conversations. He's like, "So, what would you be doing, Rebecca, if you were not a Jehovah's Witness?" And I was like, "Um, I was like, I think I'd be a hippie, like you know, the ones that are like、um, protesting stuff." <laughs> I'm sure they love that. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, like that's literally what he said." He's like, "Rebecca, wrong answer. The answer is supposed to be that you can't see yourself outside of Jehovah's organization." I was like, "Oh, okay. Like, I thought you were asking me an honest question, you know?" <laughs> thought we're being real here. Yeah. So. 
what did you see at some of these conferences as you were going to them that people may be surprised to learn? I mean, one of the most surprising things to me is TM. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I mean, there's a TM center right down the street also. And like, I, we're not, we're in fucking LA, baby. Yeah. So Scientology is yeah. like, I mean, it's like, cult, it's like a cult everywhere. Mecca in general, it really LA. is. And it, yeah, that's such a good point. LA is so, so susceptible to cult like behavior you see like QAnon for example mm-hmm. was massive here it was actually mm-hmm. one of the largest hubs of like QAnoners and then I think it, it manifests in so many different ways but I, I guess talk more about like what other cults or characteristics that you see of ex-members at these conferences that people may not even associate with that you know like TM seems pretty innocuous uh yeah TM so I, I met all kinds of people that Two of the of the people who run Ixa, I don't know if they run Ixa, but they they help put on a lot of the conferences on the, on the West Coast. They uh, joined TM when they were like eighteen, and I think it was like in the seventies or eighties. Um, they were in college, and they they became a part of TM, and they just suffered like really horrible abuses. Um, I'm not sure so much about the history of TM, but I think it was like new a newly formed organization at the time, and um, yeah, they. And they were just like, you know, pro-peace, like college kids trying to explore, you know, their brains and, you know, trying to calm down and get through college and stuff. Yeah, for people who know this is transcendental meditation and it's so benign sounding because it's like, yeah, meditation's great. We just talked to Duncan Trussell the other week about the benefits, the profound um, things that you can – that come along with like meditating and Mm -hmm. doing these kind of things. But the problem is that once you're in a situation where you – are told that you can only get this divine scripture or or mantra rather if you pay this enormous amount of money and then you're just mm-hmm. you keep you just keep getting folded into paying more and more and more for higher echelons of like awareness and that is a huge red flag yeah right um but there's much more to it that I don't really understand of how like you know how it shares some of these other characteristics as well yeah, I mean, also, you know, because they want you to eventually become a teacher, too, you know, and like when you're in that inner circle, which these guys were of, you know, teaching, there's all kinds of abuse, you know, and there was like, there was just there was rape and, you know, there was all kinds of sexual assaults happening, you know, and it's just something that in these communities where you're just supposed to trust each other and not think that, you you know, your fellow meditator or your fellow Jehovah's Witness or whatever is like even capable of these things because you're all working together for this like really great thing, you know? So you just, you trust the person, the people, you know, especially people in charge, you know, and the people in power, the people in charge are, end up being just predators a lot of times, you know? It's just so sad. It's like watching the Nixium. I was really into the Nixium stuff because it was just so fascinating. And I think one of the most interesting aspects of the Nixium docu-series that we were checking out is that, Everyone in Nixium was highly intelligent and successful. It wasn't that mm-hmm. you were completely at a vulnerable state in life where you had hit rock bottom and that you needed the integration of like a group to, you know, to, to basically tell you how to be better. It was like, it was, it's just really interesting. Like that was the kind of people that yeah. entered. And that's why it's so fascinating to be, to watch something like that. And you're like, oh, I would never do that. But like the thing is, we're all susceptible to this. We are mm-hmm. all susceptible to cults. And and if you just look, like I said at the beginning, like conditioning or just political beliefs in integration into the two major parties or trust in corporate media or like 
facets of cult-like manipulation that are perpetrated in society. The political, you know, political establishment uses it too because they know they they can hone in our psychology, especially yeah. more than ever before because of the data, the incessant data mining of everything about us. But I guess, and, and of course, living under capitalism, it seems so much worse because of how alienated people are and the, and the need and desire to be part of a group and to better yourself. And really, that's the saddest part about this is like, we all just want to be good. And we want to do good, right? We all try to do the best that we can do. And humans are just so fragile. Like, that's, that's the biggest takeaway to me is that the fragility of human nature and the susceptibility of entering and staying in cults. Why do you think? Well, that like is? we were saying LA, you know, right, is like this mecca for cults. And I think too, cause a lot of people come here, um, by themselves. So they're already, uh, vulnerable, you know, they're, they're lonely and then they're trying to be actors or writers or, you know, stuff like that. They come here for opportunities. Um, so I think the reason why they're very successful here in LA too is because, and I know this because of being at these, like, uh, these conferences and conventions and support groups, um, bettering yourself. Me yeah. Meditation, the spiritual cult abuse is like really bad. I mean, it's rife within those types of, um, those types of cults, you know? Um, and yeah, like it'll, it'll, there was, there's just so many where like the one guru would just, you know, have sex with all of the women in the cult and then just abuse them mentally, emotionally and everything, you know, just take all of their money and, they were left in the end with nothing, you know, and he would just take off and go do it somewhere else. You know, once the jig was up, there were um, so many cults where um, you'd go to like a wellness, like a, a wellness convention. They have them all the time, you know, and there's different booths. Well, a lot of the booths are run by cult leaders, you know, and I knew a girl who a woman who had like a psychotic break during one of these spiritual retreats you know and she still was like living with the aftermath of that psychotic break because they just make you relive crazy trauma like right away in public you know yep. um yep and you are i mean that's not like safe for everybody yeah, keith ranieri style yeah some people that will just induce a full-on psychotic break it's not safe you know you, ha you have to do that like with a professional you know you can't just like relive trauma in front of an audience in front of an audience yeah and have no actual you know, no one who's like clinically trained to handle it. So yeah, so those types of things are really crazy. Even Landmark, Landmark Forum is, really? is considered a cult in the ex-cult world. Whoa, 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 wait, isn't that like a speech? Like, no. what is Landmark Forum? Well, that's the I've thing. It's, it. it's also just to like, you know, better yourself too, to like be the best you you can be. But they do a lot of public breaking you down to build you back up. It's also really expensive. I thought it was like Toastmasters. No, not okay, really. Okay. I mean, no, you, I mean, in, you do have to write speeches and stuff, but a lot of people, um, a lot of people can just go and do a landmark course and like feel great about themselves and move on with their lives. Mm -hmm. But then there are certain people who will just get sucked in and then do the next level and the next level and the next level. And then it becomes their religion. You know, it becomes right. their whole life. Next thing you know, they've spent hundreds of thousands. They go into debt because they want to take the next level and the next level, you know. So that's where it becomes an issue. Sorry to keep talking about Keith Raniere, but like I remember when he when Allison Mack, like the really successful yeah, actor yeah. or whatever and. 
Ally McBeal or, or no, not Ally McBeal. Was, oh, it was the Allison, wasn't the show called Allison Mack or whatever? Anyway, we all know who I'm talking about. But I remember so, when she met Keith Raniere and he was just like, why do you want to even act at all? Like she got into Nixium thinking that it could better her acting and get her more jobs. And then she just was stripped down bare yeah. where she was like, I'm worthless. Like, why am I even doing this? If it, I don't even, I can't even explain why I want to do it. Yeah. And then it was just like this moment of truth that was like not the truth. It yeah, was that, like his show, truth. Right. That show was crazy because we saw you saw like in real time the systematic yeah. c- the way that his control and his, you know, breaking her down, the effects and the t- mm-hmm. like how she got so skinny and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And it yeah, a lot of it has to do with like weight. Con- a yeah. lot of this always boils down to like sexual abuse and like mm-hmm. control of like your physical self as yeah. well. Like like you were saying, the overworking, overstimulation and then also like monitoring cal- calories and whatnot. And going back to like this new age f- philosophical, um, like the new age movement in LA, mm-hmm. there's so many micro cults. Mm-hmm. Like at these conferences and stuff, like you were saying, every table will be like a micro cult, and it, <laughs> and it's like so crazy because it's like, dude, it's it makes so much fucking sense because it's like everyone knows like an ab- like a family member or a friend who's like trapped in an abusive relationship, you know. Mm-hmm. And and for me, it's like hard for me to wrap my mind around like how are you staying with this person. How are you doing this? And it's like, dude, it, it's crazy. If it could happen to someone in your family or your good friend who you see them peel back and become completely subservient to another person, it's like, yeah, dude, like that's that's what this is. It's just institutional, you know, and it can be small or it can be big, but it's like everyone's susceptible to this kind of abuse, whether it's just like someone in a relationship yeah. or in a structure. Definitely. Talk about – um I want to hear how your mother was initially recruited before we go to a couple phone calls. I really appreciate the two callers who have been on hold and I really want to hear from you. Please stick stick with us another couple minutes. But I want to hear about the colonial aspect of – I know your mother was in the UK, but she um, – but, but this is such a pervasive tactic as we were talking about before. The colonial aspect of of going to these remote areas and – Forcing people to abandon their cultural heritages, their indigenous languages, their practices, and and we see this all over. Look at South America, look at Southeast Asia. I mean, the perversion of missionaries, right? That has completely stripped these areas bare. And it's not just the homogenization of the religion, it's also the colonizing aspect of building the structures, building Mm -hmm. the churches, taking away the land. I mean, talk about just that. And then also, like, what were the circumstances? Because your mom grew up an atheist. This is what's so fascinating to me. And she was, like, pissed initially that your father even let the Jehovah's Witnesses in for tea. Yeah. You know? I know I just threw a lot at you, but I guess uh, talk about whatever you want and we can go from there. Yeah, she she was an atheist and she um, she just, you know, I think she had my sister. My sister was a little baby. And... um my parents had just bought a house and I think my mom never, she was an atheist because I think before you have a kid, it's probably pretty easy to not believe in anything. And then she witnessed this like miracle of childbirth and she was like, wow, like what is this? And she had a really rotten childhood. So I think she also felt like love and attachment for the first time. So, you know, she just was really um, confused (laughs) by all those feelings. And she thought, oh, there's gotta be actually 
more. And even though she was, obviously, I don't think she would have gone the route of becoming a Jehovah's Witness, but I do think that there was something in her that was like starting to search or think about that. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses came. She was not interested, but they left a book called The Truth That Leads to Everlasting Life. And she is an avid reader. I think she probably just picked it up one day, just not having anything to read. So she read it and she was like, oh, wow, like this sounds amazing. Like this is the truth, you know? And, um, she started studying and with the, the couple that ended up like coming to her door that they time. marked her as like a repeat. Yeah. Visitor, they came right? back of course. Yeah. Cause yeah, they left a book. So you have to come back and follow up on that. And, um, next thing you know, you know, and my, and my dad, the one who brought them in, you know, didn't want anything to do with it. So, um, yeah, that, that whole, I mean, it's, and it took time, I think, for my mom to stop celebrating stuff and to, you know, once they moved to America, that was when I think my mom got really, really, really strong. Because I think in the beginning, like, my sister obviously was still allowed to, like, celebrate things. They celebrated Christmas and stuff as a family. But then once she came to – once they came to America and then they were really removed from my mom's family, um, I think that's when she got really hardcore into it because she was also, like, isolated. That became her whole right. community, you know. You described it as a slow boil. Like, no mm-hmm. one knows. No one says, I'm in a cult. Yeah, no one joins one. Yeah. No one no one joins one willingly. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like a, a, a frog that starts out in a pot of water and eventually gets boiled to death. You know, like, it doesn't jump out because it doesn't know that it's being boiled to death. It's just this, like, slow low process you know and it's that's the one thing that i still don't understand you know it's like are these guys these a lot of the cults you know what they're doing it for but like jehovah's witnesses you know i still don't know if charles taze russell was doing it to just control all these people or was he doing it because he really did believe that that's that this is what was going to like save people's lives you know i think nowadays the the religion knows exactly what it's doing the governing body i think they know exactly what they're doing why they're controlling people like this because they're trying to keep people in because it's such a money maker for them, especially. But, um, you know, yeah, I just, <laughs> I just don't understand why, why a lot of, uh, these religions get out of control like this. But, um, as far as the colonization, I mean, you said it pretty well. Um, they, they definitely, uh, train people to, cause people get bored. I think going door to door in English because everyone knows already, you know, what, um, you're peddling. So I remember, I think people learning Russian to go and preach to like the Russian community in LA. And then my mom learned Vietnamese. She's, she's still wow. in the Vietnamese congregation and she preaches to all the Vietnamese people in LA and Orange County. And you have a son, Becca, and you are, he has a much different life than the one that you grew up. Mm-hmm. Right. And it just must really hurt to know that you've you've lost your mom forever. There's yeah. no there's no regaining this relationship with your mother because it's not it's not on you. No. That's not your decision. No, right? no, no. I mean it's that's not. her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We tried for a while, but you know, she just I think she just really knows that like I'm never going to come back, you know, and neither is my sister. So um yeah, she's just she just chooses not to be a part of our lives, you know, and not to see her grandson grow up, which is to me, that's the craziest part. You know, I thought she would at least kind of stick around on the periphery to just stay and see him grow and, you know, 
and everything. But yeah, no, she's not. She doesn't want anything to do with it, you know. And she gave it a shot, thinking she can convert him, but then she yeah. realized that it was hopeless, and so she's decided to. She saw how much he likes Christmas, and she's like, "Never mind." <laughs> yeah, she decided to uh, leave mm-hmm. again and mm-hmm. and not pursue a relationship with you. Um, and I guess to wrap this up, I mean, is there any closing thoughts that you have about advice for people who may know family members, friends who may be in these types of situations about how they can be approached? Um, I helped. Yeah. I think (laughs) telling someone that they're in a cult or telling (laughs) someone they need help, you know, it never works. Obviously I think being just a good friend or a good family member, you know, is, is, is the best thing you can do because, um, knowing that there are good people on the other side of whatever it is that they're in or going through, or just even just a relationship with a narcissist or a sociopath, whatever it is, when they know that there's someone on the other side, that's a a good person, you know, then be that person, be there for them. Don't give up on them. And, um, I think, Eventually, like especially nowadays, there was no Twitter when I was doing this, you know, there the Twitter X cult community is huge and I know it helps. I, I've seen it. I've seen how many people who are still going to church meetings, but they're they're mentally out, but they're too afraid to like physically remove themselves from the religion. Twitter is their whole life. I mean, it's how they get everything out, you know. So I think people have a, a they have you know, another layer of support and a way to get information. But yeah, I think just in, you know, if you know someone, yeah, just being, being a supportive, good friend and not, not giving up on them. And you've been able to incorporate a lot of good aspects of spirituality. You, you know, you do meditate now, you do, you have taken good beneficial things from the core teachings of like what religion I guess should be, which is like yeah. being an empathetic person and caring about your fellow human beings and like doing the best that you can and, and, and abandoning the corrosive and toxic controlling aspects of what organized religion is. And not to say that all organized religion, of course, is the same as what we're talking about, but it's, it's not like you just rejected everything. You know, you, you took like the good of everything that you've learned since you left the cult and have been able to find peace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after you kind of come off of all of the brainwashing, you know, you start to look for other ways to fulfill something. I mean, you know, whatever it is, like, I don't need to know what happens to me after I die. I'm okay with not knowing, you know, every little mystery of life. Um, I'm really into exploring, you know, the facts that we know, like science and all that stuff. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, meditation and yoga and all that stuff used to scare the shit out of me. I was way too afraid to even go near that stuff. But it was like, I always thought it was kind of cool, you know? So yeah, like once you get, get to explore all of these other things and tap into um, ancient traditions and really cool stuff, you know, it's, yeah, it's awesome. You're not living to die. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, that's what really was sacrificial life, literally basically. living excited for death, and yeah. it, which is just the perfect way to encapsulate this. Let's <laughs> let's open it up. Um, Mike, take it away. Let's let's hear from some people. Going to get some callers on the line. If you are interested in calling in, if you have a question for Becca or an experience yourself you want to share, you have time to get in the queue. So jump on. We are going to hear from Abdi first and then Andrew Abdi. Where are you calling from? And welcome to Hi, host. my name is Abdi. I'm calling from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I just want to say thank you, Abby, Mike, and Becca for letting me speak. Absolutely. Welcome to the program. 
Um, I just have two questions, but I want to get a quick statement out the way. Mm-hmm. So I'm from Minneapolis and I'm Somali. Mm-hmm. So just growing up here, um, I was actually born in uh, Virginia and then I moved to Dubai and then I moved to Minneapolis. And then when I was a kid, I actually moved to, or I was sent to Africa because I was a bad kid, right? And um, <laughs> I was sent there to study. And I remember, this is like 2011, 2012. I remember on the TV, uh, there was this channel called um, RT. And I remember seeing, I remember, I remember seeing this lady. I was like, "Who is this angry black-haired lady <laughs> ranting?" <laughs> we had no channels, right? We had no channels over there, right? So I was, I was just watching, and I didn't understand anything, but I was just watching. And then I, I remember, like a couple years ago, I was like, "Wait, she's actually, you know, actually still doing her thing out here, you know?" So I just wanted to say that was. Kind <laughs> That's of, amazing, uh, man! It kind of came full circle that I'm here. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, just my first question is, um, so Abby made a distinction in the beginning between um, what a cult is and let's say a religion. And I know Abby; she's actually been to. She's American, right? She's a white lady, so she's been around the Christian world, and then she also went to the Muslim world and Palestine. So she actually has been around the Muslims and the Christians. So. That's like around half the planet, right? Mm-hmm. Of religious people she's been to. So, what, uh, Becca, what's your like opinion on the cults versus the just the normal religions? You say, like, what, what's your opinion on Islam and Christianity, like, compared to, let's say, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons? That's my first question. Well, I guess it's all, I mean, it's a personal thing, you know, and it's it's a lot about how it makes you feel. So I think even people who are Jehovah's Witnesses and it's working well for them and they feel good, I mean, okay, you know, if that's how you want to live your life, that's fine. Um, I do think that, you know, the larger, um, more pervasive religions around the world are great. I mean, they're beautiful, especially Islam and especially Buddhism and like there's just such beautiful aspects to to the religion that's like steeped in culture, you know, and, and I'm, I'm all for it. Um, it's, it's, I think if it's help, if it helps you, I know that there's, um, there's certain, you know, like Jewish Orthodox, right? Like where it's, I really related when I saw like a documentary about them too. Like I related to how insular the society was and, and it's hard to get out, you know? Um, but I think if you're free to do what you want to do as a human being and still practice your religion, then I, I'm all I'm all for it. I think it's okay. <laughs> I think that's a good distinction to make. Yeah. Is that if you feel like you're free yeah. to be who you are while at the same time be able to practice what you want and, and incorporate the aspects of the religion then that that's healthy, you know? Yeah. Um so my second question is um more on the colonial aspect of the the Jehovah's Witness and the the Mormons. So what I can say is, like, they actually kind of target communities communities that they think are, like, uneducated. And Definitely. They even try it in Good Islamic point. countries, but what, the, what I've noticed is they can't really go to Muslim countries and, like, actually succeed. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not... They, they go to places where maybe they haven't heard of, like, monotheism, right? And then they go to those people and then they just hijack the monotheism into this... This very strange uh, hierarchical hierarchical system, right? So, 
maybe that's why they they're so susceptible to converting to Jehovah's Witnesses because they haven't heard the the message of uh, monotheism and yeah what's your opinion on them just going to like uh just random villages and like do you think it's okay for them to do it or do you think they should also talk about other religions like Christianity or Protestant Protestant I'm the same way man <laughs> Protestantism is that you Catholicism do you think they should talk about those religions or just you know just keep it to Jehovah's Witness that's my final question. Thank you for letting me speak. Uh, I respect uh, Abby, Mike, and Becca. And Mike, thank you for um, confronting uh, the former presidents. And I saw that. And just mm. thank you. And thank just you keep so being much, honest Abby. and just keep being genuine. I know you guys make your lives a lot harder doing what you do. Like people don't understand. Like your lives are a lot harder. You can't go out and get a regular job now because of what you said publicly. And you guys are kind of doing this thing for life i guess so just just keep going and thank you for uh thank you so much for letting me speak we're in it abdi uh you said it best man i really appreciate your call and your insight it was really amazing and i really appreciate your questions um becca did you want to address what he said about the tactics yeah i'm I'm, i agree and i always kind of wondered you know how successful they are in, in muslim countries but um yeah just i guess there, there is no way that they would ever talk about another religion because their whole purpose is to go there and convert people into their religion. So, I mean, if it was, if it was a, a different type of, if it was a different type of deal, then I'm sure they'd be like, "Hey, there's a lot of other religions out there. Do you want to explore them?" But that's not, that's not what their their intentions are. It should be door to door, just general. I would go yeah. to door to door, be like, "Are you interested in religion? There's all these different types of religion. You, you should know? check them out. Yeah. Which one fits with you best?" <laughs> definitely yeah i mean even even within america there's just you know areas of los angeles where i when where i grew up you know there was a lot of poverty and um you know those were always the areas that were a little bit more receptive than the wealthier areas so we liked working in the areas that were a little bit more you know impoverished right i mean people are also a little bit more humble and everything you know you could get conversations but yeah that's definitely a, a something that they do that you know they they think that these uh these immigrants that come here that you know <laughs> that there's no way that they can uh refute this but all, but you know they have such rich cultural um lives that it's actually hard to get like Vietnamese people to abandon Buddhism and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, Abdi like made that distinction with like, you know, how do you just make the distinction between a cult and like a mainstream religion? You know what I mean? And it's like a lot of the things we said about Jehovah's Witness in this episode, like the patriarchy, like not engaging with sinful content, um, spending a certain amount of hours like dedicated to your religion and sort of things like that. I mean, you could say that about Islam, you could say about Catholicism, you could say it for certain branches of Christianity and so forth. But we have lots of friends who are Muslim, mm -hmm. who are Catholic, who are Christian, who have never tried to convert us and are just, you know, normal people that just happen to have their faith. But there is something about you, Jehovah's Witness and other things like it where you do not engage with people who are not in their religion unless it is for the purpose of trying to recruit them in. And if they don't fall for it, then you excommunicate them and it's like they're out of your life, even if it's your own daughter and right. grandson. And so I think that's... Uh, right. You can't call yourself a Jehovah's Witness for life just because you were born in it. You have to be practicing and be upholding the rules, you know, like... 
Like you can be Jewish, you know, for your whole life, you know, and you can be a Muslim your whole life, mm-hmm. right? But you, you, you can still... <laughs> I didn't mean to leave out Jewish life, people, yeah. too. Yeah, we have lots of Jewish friends as well. So all the major religions, we have friends in yeah. them, and that none of them are have excommunicated us yet. Uh, right. I, but we don't know any Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, <laughs> or Anyways, Andrew, you're next on the line. Andrew, tell us where you're calling from, please. Hey, uh, I'm calling today from Toluca, Mexico. Um, I had a couple of questions for Becca and then sort of a thoughts on uh, comparisons between Catholicism or Christianity and other sects of Christianity and Jehovah's Witness. Uh, but also I just wanted to say Go for to it. Abby and Mike, big thank you um, to both of you for all of the work you do. Very much share Abby's gratitude for uh, Mike going ahead and calling out uh, George Bush Jr. I mean, he should not live a day of peace uh, for the rest mm-hmm. of his life, nor should really most of U.S. officials and presidents, of course. But um, yeah, just you, you two have taught me a lot uh, through your work. I think it's very well done. Hope you all the su- wish you all the success. Um, thank you so much for those kind words, Andrew. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for calling in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really love in this call in app. I always have, you know, like questions are like, oh, geez, I wonder what like Abby yeah. or someone would think about this or that. So this is pretty awesome. But yeah, Becca, I was wondering a couple of things. Um, I'm from Washington State originally in the U.S., and there are um, Jehovah's Witnesses churches there. And a few years ago, I saw in the news that somebody was uh, like burning down a number of Jehovah's Witness churches there. And I wondered, was there ever a resolution on that? Like, who did it? I'm kind of now imagining it was probably a, uh, you know, someone who had been in the Jehovah's Witness church for a while and was <laughs> taking some kind of revenge, I guess. I don't know. Wow. Um, what, what year was that? I think this was 2018. Uh, mm. I think they burned down, f- almost entirely burned down three and then severely damaged another two. And then somebody shot at another one. Wow. Um, and one of those was in the state capital, which I, which was a fairly large one. Um, so I was wondering if you had heard about that or if if any if you knew five could yeah there's been five cases of arson at Kingdom Halls in Thurston County one particular county five Kingdom Halls mm-hmm. were set on fire I had yeah. I had not heard of that that's insane yeah it sounds like it must have been the same person or group of people but um well I that's know I can I, I can speak on the rage that people feel about losing everything <laughs> and wanting to burn it down yeah I hope no one got hurt but. I hadn't heard about that. That's really crazy. I'm going to read about it now. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to read more because I, I hadn't thought about it in a couple of years. Um, but I had another question too. I, I, a friend of mine, their mom, um, when she was like 17, was kind of excommunicated from a Seventh-day Adventist church over mm-hmm. in um, rural, kind of central Washington. Um not that central, but it's like, anyways, the point being, once you get away from the sound, you start to run into more of these churches that are like these insular compounds. And uh, a lot of what you described seemed kind of similar to Seventh-day Adventists, but it seemed like they almost used uh, like excommunication as more of a weight over the head than these. It seemed like they were less heavy on the public shamings, more heavy on the nobody in your family will ever talk to you again if you um, step way out of line and you're not repentant and you, or you try to leave. And I wondered, um, did that play a role as well? Um, or was it more like, 
um, trying to keep you insular and, and not even raising the possibility of you being out of the church. Cause it seemed like so many similar things I'd heard from people from these seventh day Adventist churches, but also like, a, especially around the kind of doomsday, um, descriptions were very similar. Um, but was it more like every, every chance they get to keep you from thinking about leaving or did they also use the same tactic there? Yeah, I think that 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 is like the the most pervasive tactic to keep people in that you'll just lose everything and everyone you know and that's that was definitely the only thing that kept me in it for most of my and and, and took me back to. So, and I know Seventh Day Adventists like Jehovah's Witnesses actually I think there's like a favorable view of them cuz I think they have a lot of the same doc I think even the doctrine is similar too. It's so really similar. I know that there's like they think they're cool. Whereas like Mormons and Scientologists, they think they're crazy. <laughs> yeah. They're the crazy ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Andrew. Yeah. Thank you for your call. Do you have anything else to say? I, yeah. yeah I was going to make a point. Sorry. I was, I was um, raised in Catholic school and had a lot of church history. Um, eventually I read the Bible in its entirety. And that actually caused me to just completely leave. Um, mm-hmm. and you studied too hard. <laughs> yeah. I, they, they, they have some similar things where they're like, yeah, you really shouldn't read the Bible alone. You never want to do that. You want to <laughs> study with somebody. Uh, oh and I, I read the, the Bible alone and, and then, yeah, that was that I was like, Oh, you're not talking about any of this shit. That's actually kind of cool. Um, you're just talking about the stuff that's going to keep people on a, on a, you know, lifelong guilt trip. Um, but I, I think like, you know, you go, you kind of mentioned like you go a couple hundred years back or you go to some regions, there are, um, you know, major strains in Catholicism and Christianity that do a lot of these same or have done a lot of these same really harsh, really strict, very, um, austere, practices but i wonder like it seems to me that the catholic church and others have tried to adopt a slightly softer tactic and certainly try to cultivate a softer public image for kind of self-preservation but i would wager that were they to start hemorrhaging members um, like jehovah's witness the mormons seventh day adventist some of these other kind of newer sects they they sort of have to cling on to every person they can to keep you know, financially solvent and somewhat p- powerful regionally and relevant. And so I, I can't imagine that if you just took down the membership of some of the larger other Christian sects that they wouldn't just behave the same way. And as far as the colonization stuff goes, I mean, they all need to be thoroughly examined and critiqued in that same way. I've, over the past few years, I've kind of begun to look at the Catholic church as like the living remains of the Roman empire um, especially mm-hmm. in Latin America and parts of mm-hmm. like in the Philippines, um, the Spanish territories, I think was a direct, yeah. like, I think that I view that as like a Roman colonization almost. But I also think like even, even the, the more like Anglophone Catholic church, they have all these missions to Uganda. It's like every person yes. they can muster together to go to certain parts of Africa. I mean, they are kind of establishing these, fiefdoms there i don't know exactly how else to describe it but 
Yeah, Dude, when we were very similar. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, we made this. Uh, we made this short documentary for Empire Files last year about Uganda, and I was trying to find B-roll of like these Ugandan tribal people who live in the mountains, and all that is available is all just promo videos for different like white Christian missionaries who have basically taken them off of their land, like their their normal practices of living in the woods and the stuff and whatever, and just moved them to these like football fields of tents that are just like these missionary compounds. It's pretty nuts, but it's interesting that you bring that up because I saw, witnessed that. I mean, just really excellent that. points, Andrew. Seriously, like everything that you just said was so on point and it's just excellently articulated. So thank you so much for those comments. Very much appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. And um, oh, if we may have not have answered your question, sorry if we did not. But we have three more callers we want to try to get to. So, Brady, you are up next. Please tell us where you're calling from, and take yourself off of mute. From Holotus, Texas. Uh, much appreciated for everything you do. You guys put me like ten years ahead of all my peers as far as activism <laughs> goes. And I gotta say, uh, so this is a specifically uh, pertinent germane topic for me this week. Uh, you might know, have heard that the Southern Baptist Church had an independent investigation done. They found 700 uh, priests all over the country or 700 victims maybe of uh, rape and sexual abuse by Southern Baptist priests. And so I grew up in the Southern Baptist cult myself. I have a church up the street. I've heard some stories in my local area and uh so I did my own investigation and I found two local priests who have had issues with uh, abusing minors. And I started doing my own investigation, coming up with some stories from local people on next on the next door app. And I was immediately uh, targeted and harassed. Uh, my my post started getting flagged. And uh, which is kind of strange for people who are so concerned with grooming that they would be trying to censor a story about the rape and molestation of children within their own churches. So all of my posts started getting flagged. I got terminated from next door. My next door account is terminated, what? which is like, yeah, it's like my lifeline for I'm a freelancer. I'm a freelance gardener. So next door is my oh. job, it's like my lifeline. And so I'm completely had my account completely terminated for simply sharing the investigation and the story and asking for information about these local priests in my area. And it turns out there's one that uh, sent inappropriate texts to a young high school girl. He got caught. There's another one that had sex with a 16 year old girl and they just bumped him down the street to a church in my neighborhood somewhere. So I'm trying to figure out where this guy is still and what's going on. And also a uh, final follow-up question. I was wondering if y'all had heard what happened to John Hagee's brother after he got caught raping a little girl for over eight years. Brady, where do you live? Holotus, Texas. Holotus, Texas. Well, it's right very cool. It's very cool of you to uh, be doing your own like vigilante investigating and exposing these people um, and kind of, you know, in a way I've sacrificed uh, income to do it. So if anyone lives, anyone listening, if you live uh, near that area, Texas, get on the Colin app and find Brady and hit him up for some gardening, help him out. Hey, um, but yeah, Becca, artist, you have, uh, artist, musician, all that stuff. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Cloud Lake on Instagram. Cloud Lake, <laughs> Cloud Lake. on Instagram. Becca, do you have anything to say to his like crazy um, recounting of what happened? Um, the, well, the question I haven't heard of, of that person. Yeah. Can um, you tell us who that is, Brady? John Hagee. John Hagee is the leader of Cornerstone Church here um, in San Antonio. 
And he is the one that Matt Taibbi did an investigation on down here in San Antonio, this mega church. Uh, he's a highly political, powerful guy here in San Antonio. He makes or breaks politicians for the local kind of Protestant Christians or Baptist Christians. I'm not sure what he is, but major uh, proponent of Israel. And I mm -hmm. thought about protesting over at his church a few times myself, but it turns out that his brother was caught molesting a little girl for over eight years. And I don't know how they let that happen for so long, but I'm, I couldn't find any information on uh, what's, what's happened to his brother, what the sentence was. I want to make sure he's rotting in jail. That's truly horrific. And you brought up a really good point earlier about just the sheer hypocrisy of a lot of people who use religion as their identity, but then, and, and they claim to care about things like rampant child trafficking and mm -hmm. sexual abuse, but at the same time, they turn a blind eye to their own communities. And which is really, if you really want to broach this, this like pervasive issue, which obviously pedophilia is like a very rampant thing, but really it starts in the home. Like that, like that's the most likely place for it to happen is your immediate circles, your yep. church, your community, <laughs> your, relatives and so it's just crazy that it's like become this abstraction right where it's the QAnon cult kind of thinking and the grooming of the lgbtq community it's like dude look in your backyard and deal with your your yourself and your community first mm -hmm. um and and it's just sad to see religion used as like a cover for that you know and to use as basically apologia for this institutionalized sexual abuse that is completely covered up Brady, is there any other application on um, smartphones like a Nextdoor? Because I felt like there's other ones. And also, have you appealed to Nextdoor about why they would possibly terminate your account for something so, you know, I, normal? I did, I did <laughs> Just... Yeah, I did appeal to them. I got an email with a list of the posts that I made that they had taken down or flagged as problematic. And they really aren't. One of the posts is me kind of encouraging people to not shoot loose dogs in the neighborhood, uh, <laughs> which is like a real local problem, you know. Uh, so I've also started. Gotta, uh, gotta though, shoot something, you know. When you got a bunch yeah. of guns, you know, you gotta, you gotta shoot something. Wow. Yeah, I started my own local uh, San Antonio sociopath Facebook page just to kind of get a handle on our local problem people because it really has become an issue. I also started the DBS or D bullshit movement. And I started the People Party. I'm like the one sole member of the People Party right now. I interjected myself into a debate with Greg Abbott and Lupe Valdez as a third party candidate. <laughs> I posted that on Odyssey, and I'm just going to keep doing that until uh, we can get a nice platform built. So I would appreciate <laughs> y'all's input on that. It'd be great. Brady, thank you for your call. We appreciate all the hell you are raising down mm -hmm. there in Texas. Keep it up. Yeah. Uh, we got two more callers on the line that oh, we're going to take. Uh, <laughs> Next caller is going to be Shinarf. Hey, where are you calling from? Please take yourself off of mute. You are muted still. There you, there you are. I want to thank both of you guys for, for what you do. I've been, I've been listening to Abby for a very long time, and I've always been really impressed. So, Abby, one of the people you interviewed was Chris Hedges, and I know Chris Hedges is deeply religious, and I think the distinction that he makes – between religion and politics is that religion is about salvation, right? So what I'm interested in is the money. Mm -hmm. So how much does Jehovah's Witness actually make? 
and how much money is being funneled through these evangelical groups? Because I would think that there is a significant amount of money because they they swing pretty hard, right? And what's interesting is is that we never really, really take the time to like fight for a way to remove the 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 exemption of taxation on these people because you know they're 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 pretty they're pretty filthy and their hands are dirty and they do a lot of bad in this world but somehow they're tax exempt and i think if you look at american history also like you'll see that I think I think the tax exemption starts somewhere I think in nineteen in the nineteen tens, and before that you had these religious institutions, even including the Mormons, right, stepping up for people. So my question is is that you know two things really. One is like where's the money trail, right? And then the second thing is is um, what political. I, like they, they were definitely like they have the tip stereotypical political ideology, but like, what are the 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 local level things that they do to to kind of manipulate politics? I I, I don't I don't like you know I live in New York, right? And it's a totally different world here. Jehovah's Witness or 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 any of these people come to my door, the Mormons, all that shit when they're doing their mission. I, I'll pull out my machete and scare them away, right? They're not coming to my door. It ain't happening, right? And and they target the ghetto. You know what I'm saying? Like they they'll come to the hood. They don't go to to like you know the upper middle class or middle-class neighborhoods they come to the projects they go to these different places and for you know my luck i live in a shitty apartment in a in a relatively okay area and and they just you know they'll walk through the halls and they'll come up so it's you know when i hear a knock and i'm not expecting anyone it's one of two things it's either the cable company or or jehovah's witness or the mormons or something like that and i i approach both of them with the same amount of malice and 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 violence to make sure that they they know that this door is not to be knocked on right so I guess those are the two things I want to know. And the final thing is, is that, uh, you know, what can we do to get rid of these people? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So- you're awesome, man. I really appreciate your call. I mean, you hit it on the head, man. Seriously. Becca, yeah, the tax exemption thing sucks. I mean, I know that with a lot of the people um, rallying to expose the sexual the child sexual abuse in the religion one of the things they wanted to do was strip them of their um, tax exempt status and i don't think that well they definitely haven't been successful in doing that yet so um but yeah that would be that would be awesome the the money trail a lot of the with jehovah's witnesses a lot of it is tied up in the property so like i said they sold a bunch of their um a bunch of their properties for like a billion dollars I don't know where the money went. I think a lot of it did go because they settled like, you know, tens of millions of dollars have been settled out of court uh, in these child sexual abuse uh, cases all over the world. Um, every Jehovah's Witness donates money. There's no tithing, but like there's a donation box. Um, so everyone gives money, you know, on their own volition uh, every single month. So um, it's it's hard to, to really tr- like see exactly how much money is being funneled um but it's enough to yeah keep sending people on missions and building all kinds of uh you know um kingdom halls everywhere and also the money is mostly used to fund the life of all of these men who are traveling like the governing body and the men traveling around um 
they're called circuit overseers and district overseers. Their whole work is being a Jehovah's Witness and traveling. And they get very good. They have really nice lives. And they never have to work a day in their lives. So um, they get taken care of. They basically have just maids and, you know, services that do everything for them. Um, but, yeah, I mean. It, and, I mean, everyone that is in the membership is, like, basically a servant for whoever needs work. You know, it's like yeah. like they were ha- they were asking you to, like, iron their clothes and stuff. I mean, uh, like, very young ages. So it's like you're just submissive to whatever they want you to do. But it, so there's no mandatory dues every month. No, everyone does give money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a treasury department and everything like that. I just don't believe any of the, the numbers that they put out. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot of people. Ex- there's I'm sure there's ex-Jehovah's Witnesses who have really done a lot of research on this topic. And I just haven't. Yeah, I mean, it, it honestly would be a subject that we should approach in like a future Empire Files episode is like how this nonprofit like scam, um, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, the tax exemption scam for religious institutions like Scientology, because when you realize how they got tax exempt, basically by the barrel of a gun, it was like Mm -hmm. literally threatening the IRS with like, that's, that's how it happened and look at them now. So it is shocking that this is able to go on and be codified and encouraged by the U.S. government is, is truly shameless. Thank you very much for your call. Jeff, something yeah, else to say? So you come off thing. Yeah, go for it. One more thing. Michael Hudson and that Leviticus 25. How come the only person to bring up that particular verse is the uh, the godson of uh, Trotsky? Like I've never heard of a, a, a religious person, you know, other than like you know the the more liberation oriented ones. Like none of the Pentecostal, you know, Jehovah's Witness, they never bring up Leviticus twenty five. They never talk about those kind of things, and it's just a shame. It's like they corrupted an ideology. The Economics of the Gospel by Michael Hudson is a video you can find. I'm not familiar with what you're talking about. Becca, do you know what he's referring to? I don't. I'm going to definitely look into it, though. Man, the the callers today have been so awesome. It really added a lot. lot. (laughs) And um, I just thank you guys so much for calling in and for listening and for participating in this conversation. It's been so fruitful. We're going to have one more caller, but before we take that call, I just want to say something completely unrelated. Uh, please, everyone, go to the Empire Files YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Empire Files. We just published a new video report that we had been working on for a long time, an investigation into the remains from the Wounded Knee Massacre, which is when the U.S. Army murdered 300 Lakota people for uh, dancing a traditional dance. And there's a small there's a small town museum in Massachusetts that is has all the uh, artifacts and remains from the massacre that is refusing to give them up. We just did a really important report on it, and we just wanted to make sure people watched it, because it's a story we feel very passionate about and really want to draw more attention to it. So please, everyone, check that out. That is our main work, of course. And then we're going to take our last caller now, Umit. Hello, where are you calling from? You are on mute. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Loud and clear. Hello, Umit. Oh, perfect, perfect. Okay, many thanks, uh, you guys. Um, okay, first of all, I would like to thank you all for uh, uh, you know, being here anyway. Um, um, well, my question is about um, the SKPs that we were... No, first of all, we have Becca, huh, who uh, told her story. Um, what I would like to know is how many SKPs are there? 
is there an increase in SKPs, uh, especially in Jehovah's Witnesses um, uh, in the United States and maybe worldwide? Do we have any uh, uh, knowledge about the statistics about all these things? Um, is there an increase? Is there a decrease? And Umid, is that, um, by the way, where are you calling from? Uh, the Netherlands. Groningen. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, Becca, do we have any statistics on that? Um, n- no. They I probably don't... try to hide it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's so, there's so many. I think they're just bleeding members, um, left and right, especially with the internet and, like I said, with Twitter and all the information just being right there. Um, and now also the child sexual, sexual abuse is just on the news. So it's just, it's hard to, you know, turn a blind eye to any of that. So I know that they're bleeding members. I know that that's why they keep changing doctrine to keep people in, to make it be easier to be a Jehovah's Witness. So, um, but they, they will never actually, I mean, they just keep fudging the numbers saying that there's an increase in Jehovah's Witnesses when I know that that's impossible. So, but yeah, I don't, they don't publish the numbers of people who, who have left, but I know it's happening in droves. Okay, and is, is is it just uh, Jehovah's Witnesses? Do you guys know about any other cults that we, uh, or is it just, yeah, sorry. I mean, yeah, it would be interesting to know if there's like a database of like escapees that are from multiple, you know, any cult that has mm-hmm. like a resources that people can go and find. But these these events that you go to, Becca, like they're pretty big. Like the ex cult, mem- the escapee conferences that you go to, like it's a yeah. it's a sizable community, right? Yeah, and they yeah, I mean they they happen in almost every state, you know. Um, and there's just so many support groups. I mean, as being an, a, a cult escapee, I mean when I when I look at Twitter, you know, I mean there's just there's just there's tens of thousands of people, you know, who are. In, in in these cults that are that are leaving, you know, and it's not just Jehovah's Witnesses; it's all kinds. And I know that there's a lot of leave, leaving. I think there's a lot of people just disinterested in religion anyway in this generation, and you know, moving forward. So I I know that it's happening a lot in the cult world too. Umit, thank you very much for your call. I hope that answered your question. We do have one more person who joined the queue that we want to get to. Uh, Christina, um, you are the next caller. Please take yourself off mute and tell us where you are calling from. Oh, Christina got dropped. So that's it. That's the end. We lost Christina. Abby, do you have uh, any parting words? I mean, it was just such a powerful episode of Dose, back up not only because you're my best friend, but it was just an incredibly profound and important story to tell and for people to hear. Um, Thank you. And as we said before, this is not just organized religion. It could be something as small as as abuse that it's incurring through immediate family or friend circles and it <laughs> it's just really important that you talked today about this and i know a lot of people are receptive to this just as the callers articulated this is something that a lot of people can relate to clearly and we need to be opening this conversation much more and how it relates to everything going on in the world today. Because as you mentioned, as organized religion is becoming less popular, the appeal of cults is almost growing. Yeah, that's Because true. of the alienation <laughs> and the isolation that the system causes. Yeah. And so more important than ever for us to be open to each other and to be building healthy coalitions that we can organize ourselves for a better future. And thank you guys so much for participating in the conversation, for listening in. Much love, Becca. Thank you so much. I know that that wasn't easy, but keep doing your thing, girl. You inspire us all. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Love you guys. Thank you, everyone. 
big thank you to everyone in our live audience right now on Colin. We have a great episode next Sunday, June 12th, same time right here. We're talking about fungus, baby. We're getting it super lightened up, talking with a mushroom expert. All the cool questions you have about fungus, anything you want to know, be ready to call in and ask that. And uh, go into the call-in app and set a reminder for the upcoming room. If you're listening to us in the future on one of the other streaming apps, always fun to join us live. So please consider getting the call-in app and doing that. Going to take you out some music as always. If you like what you're hearing, go to Bandcamp and look up Condina Records, C-O-N-D-I-N-A. Great music collective, always puts out great shit. Thank you.